Hey there, cinephiles! It's Catching Up on Cinema! A haphazard journey through the boundless depths of international cinema with a few pit stops along the way. We watch them intently, judge them harshly, and, for today and today alone, we rank them. And that is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Trevor. I'm Kyle. And, uh, yes, this is in fact Catching Up on Cinema, uh, even though the intro is wildly different from how we normally do things. Uh, you may ask yourself, why is that? Uh, well, that is because it is the month of February 2023, uh, and this marks our uh, second Guilty Pleasures Month here on the show, uh, and I figured I would ring things in uh, by celebrating by having uh, guests on the program at every opportunity we can. Uh, and for our first episode and our f of the first week of February, I decided it would be really nice if we could have uh, our good friend Chase Keys from the Snescapades podcast to come join us. Uh, say hello, Chase. Uh, hello, Chase. Uh, sorry, I was just on the phone with my lawyer about the the the, the plagiarism here of my show, but uh, I, I think it's I think it's fine. I think it's okay. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. But uh, thank you for joining us today, Chase. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, dear listeners, um, you may recognize Chase's voice uh, from previous collaborations we've done. Uh, we did. Uh, a mutant turkey movie, uh, Blood Freak. <laughs> you were you were kind enough to indulge me with that piece of crap, and I I I'm eternally grateful for that. Oh. oh yeah, no, that was a great time because I knew that movie by reputation. Um, however, I had never had an opportunity to just watch it front to back. Uh, so I think I think that was a good time was had by all uh, reviewing and analyzing, over analyzing, in fact, uh, the classic that is Blood Freak. Um, and then prior to that, we also had Jan, uh, along with Emmy Zero, uh, to review the Super Mario Brothers film. Um, so we've had you, we've had you both on to review some classic fucking films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you've uh, been kind enough to join us on our show as well. Uh, we talked about uh, was it Mortal Kombat the movie? Oh yeah, we talked yeah. at length yes. about Mortal Kombat. I'm sorry, Chase. How long was that episode? Uh, it was one of the longer ones we've done. Because uh, I think Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat for us, you we broke three hours. I think that was the, the our first three hour episode was Mortal Kombat the movie. Yeah, I don't know if um if ours quite broke uh, three hours, but it it was a longer <laughs> one. Our our uh, uh, quick change the channel things that we we do yearly where we talk about a, a movie. Um, those tend to be some of our longer episodes, along with our our playing with power episodes. So. Uh, so yeah, uh, which you you also did one of those with us. Oh yes, uh, I I did show up for a playing with power episode. I forget specifically what issue, um, but that was a lot of fun for me because I I have I have read my fair share of Nintendo Power. Uh, only ever owned a handful of them, um, but it was really neat uh, to you know hop in the time machine and just take a look back on how gaming media was structured uh back in the early 90s and it was radically different from how it is it is today yeah um, definitely. That, was, that was a lot of fun i'd love to come back from one of those oh yeah yeah well we'll we'll be doing them for a while i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of show formats um you may have noticed uh by the the radically different intro uh that i did to start things off this week um we're going to be doing something a little different here on the program um, each week, in fact. Uh, so just as like a fun pet project for myself, I've decided to uh, attempt to emulate the structure of the shows, uh, like of the hosts uh, that we have on the show uh, from week to week. And so um, I'm going to do my best Snescapades impression in terms of the layout of the show this week. Uh, hopefully I don't fuck it up, but 
Um, if you're not familiar, dear listener, uh, the Snescapades show, uh, the podcast, um, is a chronological journey through the North American, specifically North American mm-hmm. Super Nintendo Library. Um, so if you're into uh, retro game reviews, specifically Super Nintendo stuff, um, by all means, check it check it out. It's yeah. a wonderful program. Well, and, and to put your mind at ease, I mean, we've changed the format so many times, and we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants. You can't fuck up a format that isn't, you know, set in stone. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that gives me that gives me some wiggle room. Um, but yeah, in in the spirit of Snescapades, uh, instead of a single movie uh, to be reviewed today, uh, we're actually going to be tackling three. Uh, as they typically do over at Snescapades. Uh, so each of us, uh, myself, Kyle, and Chase, uh, we've all selected a film, uh, a guilty pleasure, uh, a personal guilty pleasure film for each of us. Uh, so I think it's only fair that we kick things off um, with our guest's uh, pick. Um, so Chase, would you care to introduce your guilty pleasure pick for this week? Well, actually, you know, before I do that, I, I do want to talk about like the concept of a guilty pleasure and what that means. Like, What does that mean to you guys? Kyle, how about you go first? Yeah, I got this. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, so, <laughs> for me, a, gu- a guilty pleasure is generally a film uh, by a director or starring an actor or actress who I don't particularly care for. Uh, I think I've been pretty vocal on the podcast so far that I'm not a huge Mark Wahlberg fan. He doesn't really do it for me. I'm not from Massachusetts. I don't give a shit about Mark Wahlberg. Um, and I don't think he's a particularly great actor, but just every once in a while, when he's playing a dumbass, like just a dumbass <laughs> dude, he can really knock it out of the park. I think Boogie Nights is one of Paul Thomas Anderson's greatest films and definitely Mark Wahlberg's best film. Second best film, Pain and Gain. But a close third, as far as guilty pleasures go, is Rockstar for me. And like I said, it's generally just an actor who I don't particularly care for, that they just kind of have a movie that's just good enough for me. Uh, And that's kind of why I went with Rockstar this time. Okay, so in your case, it's like a movie that you on paper shouldn't like, or it has elements to it that you like based on your usual preferences it just doesn't make sense for you to like it let me follow up with that trevor i know that you love movies about making movies i like movies about rock stars that that is kind of my achilles heel when it comes to movies it's like i these aren't these aren't very good movies generally but i very much enjoy them yeah i've seen the doors about a thousand times easily like yeah. okay um as for myself um When I think of guilty pleasures in reference to myself, it typically comes down to movies that, like, I feel embarrassed for liking to the degree that I do. Like, I I feel like I have, like, a self-imposed stigma applied to myself Mm -hmm. where it's just like, I... I'm not especially happy knowing that other people know that I like this. <laughs> um, so I guess that's my definition. But Chase, being as you brought up the topic, how about you let us let us know what your definition is? Yeah. So at first, I was kind of thinking like, okay, I guess you know, a, a movie that's um, kind of notorious or or maybe uh, pretty critically panned and not very well loved that uh, you know you for some reason enjoy regardless, but. I don't know, like the word guilty kind of threw me off there. Like one thing I was thinking of was um, the the Power Rangers movie that came out in like, uh, what was it, like 2017 or something like that. Oh, oh uh, wow. No. no. <laughs> yeah. See, like a lot of people do not like that movie. A lot of people who are fans of like original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers like I am do not like that movie. 
I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. And I actually don't feel guilty about it. I don't feel ashamed of it. I, I feel like I can defend that movie. Um, so Guilty Pleasure for me is a movie that I really, that, that, that I, well, maybe not necessarily really like, but that I enjoy, but I know I cannot defend. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I will completely say, you know, like, hey, I, I'm not going to get into a debate with anybody about the merits of this film because I know that it it doesn't have many. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, I still like it. Sometimes it's nostalgia. Well, yeah, I think all of us here can relate to that sentiment. But uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, Chase, but uh, it sounds like we're getting ready to introduce your pick uh, for this week, uh, your guilty pleasure film. Uh, so I think it's only appropriate that I, I throw it over to Newsy, uh, who inexplicably seems to have followed you from the Snescapades program. Uh, so Newsy, how about you play us in uh, for for Rent uh, from 2005? It's November for that newsy that was very illuminating uh anyway uh i'm sorry chase uh, you were saying it's not a thing for me where it's like oh the movie has become problematic um even though i i do think that applies to my pick which is uh rent um but you know like something like ace ventura for me like the the, the transphobia of that movie kind of undoes everything i used to love about it for me now like i cannot enjoy it and it's not a thing of like oh i refuse to watch it because it's super transphobic it's like i literally can't enjoy even the not transphobic parts about it because it is so upsetting to me now um rent isn't that for me i i still like the movie i really like the show the the broadway musical um i was kind of exposed to it in college i they were doing like a, a tour uh they came to my college N not the original cast or anything like that this was well after that but um, I knew nothing about it. I just kind of was like, hey, you know what? I got nothing better to do. I'm going to pick up a ticket for this and go see it. And it really affected me. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, thought it was great. And um, yeah, when I found out there was a movie coming out and it was most of the original cast going to be in it, I was super excited about it. Went to see that. Loved it at the time. And now, you know, looking back on Rent... You know, like in general, there's there's a lot of things that I I think are not, do do not hold up well. For for one thing, like you know, let, let's talk about our protagonist here, Mark. Uh, Mark sucks. <laughs> and, um, uh, quick question. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, um, physical attributes: Is Mark blonde or not blonde? He is blonde. Yeah, he's uh, okay, uh, okay. played by Anthony Rapp in the movie okay. and the original Broadway show. Um, Anthony Rapp, I'm sure, is 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 wonderful. Um, but Mark sucks and not uh, just, yeah. Well, I was going to say, we do have Anthony Rapp to thank for, uh, uh, shutting out, uh, Kevin Spacey for life. Cause I do believe that he, 
he is the one that was like he hit on me when I was a child. So uh, yes. we do have Anthony Rapp to thank for that, if nothing. Yeah, else. yeah, for letting us know what a creep that dude is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, he's on Star Trek now, and I I love just about everything Star Trek. So quick, I'm sorry. You're you're a, you're a tr- you're a Trek fan. You're a Trekker. Oh yeah, yeah. I am definitely a Trekker. Oh, God damn it, I envy you so much. I've tried so hard <laughs> to get into TNG. I've I've sat down and forced myself to watch TNG because I watched it as a child. I want to, is there a drug that you can take? Because I want to be in a Star Trek so bad. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Um, Okay, I'm going to derail this podcast really fast here for some Trek talk. By all means, go for it. It's a podcast. I have watched, I have watched, um, actually, I'm a little embarrassed to say I have not watched much of the original series, but everything else I have seen every episode of. Um, in, including all the new stuff. And so I have kind of organized everything into a tier list. The A tier for me is Deep Space Nine, okay. Strange New Worlds, and Prodigy. So if you just want to jump into like the really, really good stuff, that is my Deep recommendation. Yeah, Deep Space Nine. Um, uh, Prodigy is, is like kind of like more for kids, but it's actually like a really good jumping on point because okay. it kind of wants to introduce a new generation to Star Trek. Uh, also, Jason Manzukis is in it, and he's great. Is is uh, Deep Space Nine more about Worf? Is he a main character in that series? Um, he joins later. Uh, okay. He's he's on Next Generation, and once Next Generation I ends, that, yeah. yeah, he goes over to Deep Space Nine. Um, but okay. Deep Space Nine is just a lot more complex, and um, it deals with a lot of really interesting things. Uh, you know, like kind of dealing with like, hey, we're we're the atheistic space communists and now we have to deal with this uh you know group who is very deeply religious and this is a very important part of their culture what do we do how do we deal with this you know a lot of interesting stuff going on i i i think deep space nine is is star trek firing on all cylinders um but noted yeah but strange new worlds and prodigy are also fantastic um okay so yeah those are the ones if if you just want to watch the real cream of the crop in my opinion that's what you go for i'm gonna do all right thank you yeah, no problem. So that's been Trek Talk. Um, well, good podcast, everyone. <laughs> um, no, so um, anyway, uh, but Mark sucks. Uh, that's where I was. Uh, <laughs> and and not just for the reasons that um, the, the, the musical tells us he sucks. Like, he's a bad screenwriter, so now he's just going to film whatever and, and make a, a documentary of sorts. Um, he is a misery tourist. That is, yes. you know, this is something that I did not pick up on, and this is something that I think is really hammered home more in the movie than it is in the musical, um, especially the scene where he's talking to his parents, or, well, we hear the voicemail from his parents, and he says something along the lines of, like, you know, I always wonder, you know, like, when we're, you know, broke and starving, why am I still here? And then they call and I remember. It's like, okay, so you've chosen to be broke and starving because your parents are annoying? They don't, like, we don't get any indication that they're, like, physically or emotionally abusive um they're just a little bit cringe and that is apparently a justification enough for him to just be like yeah i'm a bohemian now um and i think you have another issue with the whole show in general is you know um so this was made by a guy named jonathan larson um he was you know friends with uh, a lot of queer folks and i and i should i should put out there really quick I am a straight cis dude. Um, I am not part of the queer community. So anybody who says that, like, I'm speaking out of line here, that I don't know what I'm talking about, uh, feel free to listen to them. Like, because I, you know, I am certainly not the authority on this. Uh, and, and some people might say that, like, I'm, I'm not 
doing right by you know analyzing this stuff or anything else you know like completely fair so jonathan larson to my knowledge was not um was was not gay lgbt anything like that uh he also did not have aids some people say he died of aids he did not (laughs) he he died of a, a heart condition um so you know because of who his friends were and because he was you know um dealing with you know like losing some of his friends in the aids epidemic and everything else of the 80s um you know i felt maybe he felt like he was a part of this community and i mean you know i'm I'm certain i'm sure he was to some extent but we're dealing with a lot of characters who are lgbt plus um and, and a lot of characters who have aids and I'm not sure in hindsight these were his stories to tell. Um, and I think that, you know, had he not died so suddenly and, and tragically and young, you know, he, because I do think his heart was in the right place. I'm, I'm not saying I think he was a bad person. Um, I, I think he would have grown from that. I think he would have listened to the criticism, you know, that, that people lob at it in hindsight. And, you know, I, I, I think like if he had ever tried something like this again, he would have said, hey, I'll handle the musical aspect of this, but I'm going to let somebody else who lived this write the, the you know, write the next story. Um, For sure. He, he died in 1996. And a lot of these stories were based around like late 80s, early 90s. So right. yeah. it was a smaller I think the, the community was much smaller back then uh, and probably dealing with more hostility. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I could see him being, yeah, I can yeah. see him being of wanting to be that voice, but not necessarily being the the right voice for it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and it, much like you know, again, me talking about all this stuff right now, I am also not the person <laughs> to be listening to when it comes to this stuff. But you know, I'm going to talk about it anyway, I guess. Um, but you know, there, there's that. There's just the way some of the characters are written. Um, you know, Maureen is an absolute horrible person who who does terrible things to her girlfriend and you know is is uh, yeah. quick question so uh i got about through half of this movie before we had to start um mm-hmm. maureen is who adina menzel okay okay yeah I know you're talking about now gotcha yep yeah, yeah. she sucks yeah, yeah. yeah a lot of people in this movie <laughs> suck i mean she goes for it like she really goes for it like if she adheres to the material she does what's asked of her a lot of the performance in this is in this film are very strong, uh, but the material the the that's the issue to me. the The main issue is a lot of what Chase was talking about, where it's like the message, the concept is very important, very topical, but the execution of it, the delivery of it, is it's very surface level and mm-hmm. doesn't feel full throated. And as as you had said, Chase, it 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 doesn't necessarily feel disingenuous but it feels like it's talking around what it ought to be right even though it's paying lip service to the most important aspects of it the most topical aspects of it um and as a result it it feels very light it feels very airy it feels kind of like i mean you're you're hinting at things that would be interesting to get into but you're not getting into it so why am i here for two hours and 15 minutes right. at least in, t- in the film version <laughs> yeah yeah well, and you know and, and there's there's some more specific things too that like i could really nitpick but i i think you know like several people on youtube have already you know 
covered these better than I could. Um, I think you know, Lindsay Ellis did a great <laughs> breakdown of Rent, and uh, I, I did watch that. Yeah, um, yeah, um, a couple of times, in fact, when it first came out, and in preparation for this, mm-hmm. and it was very helpful. Yeah, it did put things in perspective. Yeah, she she did a great job. Uh, the one thing I really remember her talking about was like the scene in which, uh, which is also in the musical, where uh, Mark is. Um, videotaping a confrontation between a police officer and a homeless person. Oh, yeah. And the homeless person basically says like, "Hey, who the fuck do you think you are? What do you you know, like I'm I'm not a prop for you." And uh you know, like this 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 argument culminates in, you know, like she's saying, you know, like this isn't helpful. Like, "Hey, do you have a dollar?" "No, of course you don't. You're a fucking starving artist. You can't actually help me. This is not yeah. what I need." And this should be like a thing that really affects him and makes him question what the hell he's doing. Um, but it isn't instead what makes him question what he's doing is a thing that, you know, later on in the show where he's ostensibly working in the field he wants to be in, but not quite the way he wants to do it, which like, this is maybe just like a thing where that does not hold up today where it's like most of us creative types would kill to have a job like what he's got, even if it is kind of stupid and trashy and a little bit of, you know, like, who cares? It pays the bills, and it's it's maybe a step to you know towards doing the kind of stuff I want to do. Um, it makes me think of a SLC Punk, Kyle. Uh, um, yes, yeah. the, wa- the end of that movie I thought was actually really really hopeful and and kind of eye opening. Where it's like you know sometimes you do need to do whatever you need to do to keep the lights on to keep mm-hmm. yourself fed, but it doesn't mean that you. You, you don't lose stop who you representing are, yeah. what you represent. He's he's going to continue to hold his core beliefs and try his best to rally behind them whilst working within the system in order to change the system. Two things. One, I'm so glad you brought up Salt Lake City Punk. Did you recognize <laughs> any overlapping casting from that film? Oh, I I must have missed it, but how about you? Alumina? Who's our main guy with the leather hair who's hanging out with uh, Rosario Dawson in this film? What's his name? He's from School of Rock. Our main guy in this movie, Rent. The guy with the uh, hair and the leather. Talk about um, Adam Pascal? Yes. That is uh, Eddie. That is Eddie from Salt Lake City Punk. The guy that they go to get beer with. Uh, he's in wow. both of those I, I completely missed that. <laughs> I recognize that smile anywhere. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen SLC Punk. So yeah, I, I, I didn't make that connection either. I probably did back when I watched it. but uh, Coming back to uh, that, that scene, Chase, that uh, you had mentioned about the the woman the mm-hmm. homeless woman being like filmed without permission by the yeah, way yeah yeah uh, <laughs> uh, that's not something you're allowed to do um you do need to obtain release forms or at the very least like verbal consent or something anything um that was a bizarre scene in this movie yeah uh, because through that Lindsay ellis video essay um i seem to recall mention of the homeless population in new york being given a role in the form of like a chorus uh, in the show yes yeah uh, in this movie they occasionally pop up but they don't really do a whole lot so they're bare they aren't really a presence in the film but that scene in in the context of this film is truly bizarre because it it is calling attention to its own deficiencies yeah it's like cut that shit out if you're not if you're not going to incorporate that into the character arc of this of this <laughs> of this mark character get that out of here because all that's doing is drawing attention to the fact that that is a drop thread. That is a hideous drop thread because that is such a brilliant opportunity to have his character actually grow and change in a meaningful way. 
but it's just there and it just makes him look like an asshole <laughs> and then the movie just moves on yeah yeah it's it's um yeah it really is one of those scenes where it's just like this this was a good opportunity to to be about something really important and it just completely drops the ball and again it, it makes mark look like a just a supreme loser um it, it, it just makes him look worthless you know like it's a real shame um well it it just shows how unwilling to be introspective not only the character mm-hmm. but also the film itself is like it's it's unwilling to interrogate its its own characterizations yeah. and and actually expand on them in meaningful ways and it's very frustrating because it's not all isolated just mark like there's so many ugly characters in this that have opportunities have like turning points where they could take things in interesting directions um but i don't know if it it's all something you can attribute to the structure of the original broadway show or the uh, off broadway show rather uh, became a broadway show yeah. um or if it's a, a sim- it's purely symptomatic of the way the film is structured yeah but, I, I think uh, that i mean because i mean that scene is in the broadway show as well and, and like you said the the there are like a, a group of homeless who sort of act as a uh, Greek chorus of sorts uh, throughout the musical. Um, but yeah, you know, like this, th- those problems remain in the musical. They're, they're still there. Um, you know, the, the, the homeless folks are just kind of props and, and, you know, I have a yeah. question. So one of the things you mentioned with your guilty pleasure was, um, was it kind of along the lines of a movie that you would have difficulty defending or was that you Trevor? That was like, no, that, that was movie- me. That was you, okay. Yeah. So one of the movies, one of my favorite movies of all time, and I'm not going to def- necessarily defend it against anybody who says that it's problematic because I understand that it, it can be very problematic. But it's The Birdcage with uh, with Nathan Lane and Robin Williams. Um, there's definitely some um, negative ways that they represent gay men in that film that are very problematic. But I still have a very emotional connection to it for several reasons. Um, would you would you say that there's still kind of like an do you have kind of an emotional connection oh, to this? Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, when I first moved out to uh, the Seattle area, I actually auditioned for uh, a a production of Rent um, okay. around here, and I I got called back to <laughs> to play Tom Collins of all people, um, <laughs> which also maybe would have been a little problematic. A white dude playing Tom Collins. I don't know if that uh, just a skosh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, when I was um, doing the rehearsal, when when I got called back, I, I didn't end up getting it. But you know, when I'm I'm you know gathered around a piano with all these other people, and and they're playing Seasons of Love, and we're doing it, and and um, goddamn, it was just like this feeling of like, holy shit, this is actually happening. I'm I'm fucking part of this. I'm doing this. Um. So I mean, you know, I. Like, I, I wasn't even going to watch this thing again. I, I watched, like, the first part of it. And, you know, once that first number really hits, it, it's just like, oh, God, yeah, I remember what I loved about this. I remember it. And, like, <laughs> really, even now, if somebody said, hey, uh, we're doing a small production here. We need someone to play Roger. Can you hit those high notes? I'd be like, hell, yeah, I can. Let's Fuck do yeah, this. I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's well, that's, that's super awesome. Yeah, that's good. That you, you actually gave it a shot like like yeah. and just to be in the room for that must have yeah been really it, incredible it was a lot of fun i i didn't get it because the director was adding a lot more dancing and i cannot ah. dance to save my life also you know like i'm i'm a singer first i am a an actor very distant second so 
you know fair uh, enough but my uh, yeah. the, my girlfriend same same way she mm-hmm. she doesn't think of herself as a uh as an actress but she is one hell of a singer and uh she uh it's funny because she she is a, a big fan of musicals as a result mm-hmm. um rent is not one that she has much appreciation for though yeah, um, no, fair. like her like her one sound bite i have to bring into this conversation is see la boheme like that that's that's all she said she, she's like oh yeah. rent watch la boheme <laughs> like that was <laughs> my boss is an my boss is a a trained opera singer by the way let her know that uh i i asked her what i i asked her what her what i don't know what the term is what like soprano whatever it is mm. uh Alto, all that business yeah i asked her what it was and she said something i'm like i don't even know what that means but yeah she's, she's a trained <laughs> opera singer i know people Wait. who would care about that yeah i know somebody me, who would care but about i'll relay it to them <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't do a good job of doing it <laughs> she doesn't know if she's a what, what? she <laughs> i asked i asked what whatever that is i was just like what, are you what, a soprano? What, what part what range yeah yeah okay yeah what range are you at and she told me what her range was and okay. i don't even know i'm like i don't know what that is like i didn't oh, okay. recognize okay. the term Chase, in, inquisitive types like kyle and myself we often ask questions without being prepared for, for the, the answer response. yes <laughs> okay. right. so, so he and i either one of us if we were to ask that we would have no concept of what the actual response means but if the person delivers it passionately, I'm glad to hear it. It's okay. like if I ask what your sign is, and they're like, "I'm a Virgo," I'm like, "I don't know about that." But if they say they're uh, Aquarius, yeah. But if they say they're Aquarius, if they say they're Aquarius, I'm like, "Oh, I'm an Aquarius." That's the best you're gonna get. At, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, the, the point I wanted to circle back to after my uh, bullshit tangent about the girlfriend was, um, like Chase, when it comes to musicals or musical theater, is is this something that? in general you're passionate about or is it just this show it's kind of just this show really like okay. i i haven't seen a I, i've probably seen like an embarrassingly small number of musicals really like you know i mean like i like les mis because you know everybody's heard of les mis everybody knows what les yes. mis is you know like the you can't get away from that one um but you know I, so i i like the ones that everybody knows about and everybody likes but this was just one of those that it was just kind of like you know, time and place. I had an opportunity to see it, so I went to see it. Loved it. Ended up seeing it a couple other times. Like I, I saw it once when it came through Seattle with Anthony Rapp and Adam Pascal doing the, their their roles again. Um, so you know, it's an incredible show. Even though I think it's it's got a lot of problems now, and yeah, it, it's like I said, I can't defend it, but you know, I, I will still like. You start playing one of those songs, I will start singing along. Well, that that's one thing that I did note about this this film. See, I haven't ever seen a stage production of this, mm-hmm. um, which, as far as I know, is far superior as a lot of these tend to be. Um, the movie has a lot of liabilities, strictly in terms of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and in terms of just like musicality and and presentation of of that, uh, the takeaway that I, I I got from this was that it has two or three like show stopping tunes that are absolute classics that you could put it on. And a lot of people like that aren't even familiar with the show would recognize and appreciate, but that doesn't extend to the entirety of the song catalog, but it does like unabashedly just have like two or three absolute winners. Um, But 
Yeah, the, the movie itself, though the the way it's structured, uh, it doesn't present the package in, in the best way. I bet the sh- I bet the stage version is considerably better. Yeah, there I mean, are so many songs, yeah. like it's insane <laughs> how many songs in the first ten minutes. There's three songs. I'm like, this is insane. This is the most songs I've ever seen in a musical. Like it was stacked, crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, like the show almost feels like a rock opera in some places because, like the this. Um, Mark has like a quick monologue at the beginning, but then after that, he and Roger are singing the first act to each other. Uh, and then that first number, um, Rent, starts up. And uh, the first time you hear it, it just really blows you away. You're just, you, you don't even see it coming if, if you haven't heard it before. You know, it's just like they're just kind of like doing the sing songy thing back and forth. A few other characters jump in via phone conversations and stuff. And then suddenly the lights go down. The power's out, and then, boom, it, it's rent time. <laughs> this movie, yeah. I, I was as I was watching it, um, I have a, a buddy of mine who I haven't seen now, unfortunately, in about eight years. Uh, he was a buddy of mine from high school, and uh, he had this ringtone. He had this um, uh, outgoing message on his cell phone back in the day when we were young, and that was cool oh. to do. Yep. I, yeah, I know exactly, exactly what you're going to say, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he had me do it with him. I was the second voice on it, so he's just like, "Hi, this is Matt. Speak." And fantastic. He, I, I remember. I think I asked him at the time. I'm like, "What's what? What is that?" And he's like, "It's from a musical. Don't worry about it." And we were sitting there watching. We were just watching this now, and I heard it. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh! I didn't realize it was from this the whole time." And just shot me back uh, to that. So I had a, I had a fun little moment while watching this. Oh man, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah but. I'm- I'm glad, uh, Chase, you, you used the phrase um, time and place um, because I feel like guilty pleasures oftentimes, that, that is where they come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times it's, it's where, the, where you were and who you were when the thing got to you um, that often characterizes the impact that's going to have on you such that like that's part of why I enjoy listening to your show all the, like so often, uh, the Snescapades podcast, is because... I carry a, a lot of nostalgia and mm-hmm. a lot of personal attachment to a lot of those older video games because that's a lot of how my brain works. That's a lot of how my memory works. Yeah, is I yeah. have a lot of sense memories and, and just like weird memory fragments attached to those products. And a lot of them outright suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. but I, I, I use them as like markings or, or totems to, to like attach me to that point in my life and and who i was at that moment um so it sounds like your attachment to rent it's like doesn't it doesn't matter what what the the general reputation of the thing is it doesn't matter what the content of it is it it got to you at a point where it was meaningful and therefore it's meaningful to you yeah you know i like i said i i listened to it for the or I, i saw the show when i was in college i was maybe you know a little bit lost at sea at the time not sure what i wanted to do yeah, um, welcome to college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, dude, welcome to your early twenties. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it was also a, a period where um, I had been doing men's choir, and the men's choir got cut from the music curriculum. So, you know, unless I wanted to do one of these big, you know, uh, um, auditioned choirs and have to do like tours and stuff, which you know, I wasn't really planning on majoring in music, so I was kind of like, well, I guess that's it. I guess I'm done singing now, and so. It was just a lot, a lot of things at the time, and, and this just hit me in a way, and it's sort of message about, you know, no day but today, this kind of, you know, shallow but uplifting sort of message 
kind of got me at the right time, you know, and maybe I needed it at that point. Um, but yeah, you know, I, it, there's again, still a lot of things I could nitpick about. Um, the fact that the, the evil gentrifier is played by a black dude is a little weird. Um, dude, <laughs> that threw me off. That really <laughs> threw me off when I started <laughs> watching this. Like, this is how you're using Tay Diggs is you're going to have him do that. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's um, also, you know, cribbing from uh, a, a very good uh, um, YouTube video essayist. Uh, Dan Olson did a video back in the day about a specific scene in this movie where um, it's the the no day but today. Um, or no, sorry, another day. Another day yeah. uh, between Roger and Mimi where, um, you know, like the argument is ostensibly, you know, like, hey, you need to come out of your shell. You need to join us. You need to, you know, have fun and live your life. And Roger's like, no, I want to stay here and write my song. But also, it's about Mimi wanting Roger to get high and fuck her. Um, And, (laughs) you know, like, we, the audience at this point, already know um, Roger has AIDS. Roger probably has AIDS because he used to be a junkie who, who was addicted to heroin. Roger used to have a girlfriend who is now dead because she committed suicide because she also had AIDS, which she also probably got from being a junkie and being addicted to heroin. So, you know, like, while the movie and, and the show... And, and actually, th- this scene is not quite as much of an issue in the, the show because, like, it's not framed the same way, uh, but it's still a bit of an issue. So, you know, you've got Mimi positioned with her friends surrounding her bathed in a street light, um, saying, you know, Hey, come out with us and, and join us. And Roger, you know, up in the balcony, isolated darkness, you know, is visually trying to tell us something, you know, like that, that Roger is in the wrong here and not really. Um, no, absolutely not. no, 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 she is she is a completely toxic match for him. Like he has precedent in in his previous dating life right. that self-destructive women that that used illicit drugs didn't exactly work out for him in the past. Right, like, yeah. And you know, and he's not even like really telling her to fuck off. He's specifically saying another day. I I do yeah. not want this right now. Um, you know, yeah, like, he's saying come come back next time. Maybe yeah. I'll think it over. <laughs> I'm a little busy right now. I mean, yeah. it's it's Rosario Dawson. Like you kind of just it, like, yeah. I know I shouldn't be doing this, but hey, just yeah, put it on the back burner. I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, Rosario Dawson. Um, and, and for the record, one of two roles that were recast for the movie, who was who was oh, not really? part of the. Yeah, yeah, sh- uh, she was not part of the original cast. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think the. Um, the actress who originally played Mimi, I think she was actually pregnant at the time, and that's why she said she mm, couldn't do it. Um, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it was her, and it was... Um, uh, this launched... I think mm-hmm. this launched Rosario Dawson, because before this, it was like Men in Black, and was she... She wasn't in uh, Kids, was she? I can't remember, but uh, Clerks 2 would come out around this time, too. Yeah, yeah, That yeah, was yeah. 2008. Yeah, that was a few years later, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, this this was kind of her starting to get really rolling. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the characterization of, of Mimi in this in the movie in particular is uh, it, it, the the cinematic language does a lot to kind of frame her as being completely innocent and in the right in most of her her actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, that that scene in particular it has a strange vibe to it. And yeah. That vibe extends to the majority of the film as well. Um, which brings me to the, to the director of the film, 
Uh, so this is a Christopher Columbus. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, before you do that, sorry, Rosario Dawson was in Kids, nineteen ninety-five. But yes, fucking Christopher Columbus, Home Alone. Yeah. Christopher Columbus, <laughs> Home Alone. Yep. So, so, yeah, uh, the the Home Alone guy. Uh, directed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did both of the Home Alones. He did not, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, Kyle. Yep. Um, Holler. Bicentennial Man. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle has a personal. My mom, with my mom apologized to us on the way back to her house after taking us to the theater for that because we were a oh, Robin no. Williams. She's just like, I am so sorry that you had to watch that. And I was a kid. I'm just like, I wasn't that wasn't that bad, was it? But then, like, I kind of thought about it. I'm like, I don't even remember what happened in that movie getting out. This is like, the saddest <laughs> fucking movie. That was, maybe that wasn't good. Like that wasn't good. Movie. It became a joke is this in our what house. Bad movies are. It became a joke in our house. It's like it was better than Bicentennial Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have yeah. Christopher Columbus to thank for Bicentennial Man. Um, and I want to say that this this movie came out pretty much uh, at at the decline period uh, for Mr. Columbus because all the movies I just mentioned, perhaps with the exception of Bicentennial Man, they killed at the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have objective objective quality to them. Like the Home Alone movies are a lot of fun. Mrs. Doubtfire, like, I don't know what its reputation is today, um, but at the time, it was quite a lot of fun and made a fuck ton of money. Um, then the Harry Potter movies happened. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and as far do. as I understand, his contributions to that film franchise, of which I have zero, zero connection, so I can't Yeah, tell the people you're a piece of shit, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm outing myself as a piece of shit. Guy. I'm sorry. Are we going to defend Harry Potter right now? We're not defending um, Harry Potter right now, are we? Do you know? Do you know who I am? Come on. What, what are you doing here? I'm defending Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not defending the author. I'm okay, not defending all right. the author. But, but I mean, like, you realize you you cannot support this franchise without supporting her at this point. Like, she still makes money off of this thing. I I bought the Blu-rays when uh, she was not outspoken. Okay, transphobic. all right, all right, yeah. all right. Yeah, I can don't still enjoy don't it. buy the yeah. fucking video game, people. People don't buy the fucking video game. God damn it. Okay, Chase, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. gonna I'm gonna tell you from the bottom of my heart, I will never buy that video game. Okay, thank okay. you, thank you. No, I mean like <laughs> seriously, like you know, the next episode of my show that comes out, we're gonna have another you know fucking political moment because we got to because you know like. This horrible shit keeps happening, and um, has yeah, she sold yeah, her I, rights? Is she still? The, does she still own the rights to Harry Potter? No, no, no. She's still, she's still got them. And I mean, you know, like it's oh, she got them. Okay, yeah. It's it's her it's her profile too. You know, like she's really prominent. She has a huge reach on Twitter and everything else. Um, and there's just really horrible, frightening things happening right now. Um, yeah. You know, being being said by by prominent conservatives who who wield power or have wield power could wield power again um sorry i didn't mean to derail everything again it's it's just been you know i'll, I'll sum uh, it up harry potter good jk rowling sucks yeah yeah i would i would qualify that as a you know a, a worthwhile derailment yeah it, you know yeah. it's worth it's worth getting into it's it's worth talking about yeah. i however have zero connection to That's this fine. franchise <laughs> and do not endorse anything that jk rowling stands yeah, no for, i do but... i do not endorse anything jk rowling stands for absolutely nothing uh, sorry um, yes go ahead but the the point i was i was getting to was i want to say from what i've heard his contributions christopher columbus's contributions to the franchise are regarded as the least mm. of of the film franchise 
I, I don't know if that's true, but I, as far as I've heard, that's the case. Um, and then, sure enough, immediately after that, uh, he produces Christmas with the Cranks oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and then directs Rent. Uh, so I, I would qualify this as like the, the downward turn yeah. in the filmography well, of one Christopher Columbus. So we actually watched the Harry Potter movies. Like, So I grew up with the books. I grew mm-hmm. up with the films because I'm just at that perfect age when right, I'm yeah, the yeah. exact same age as the characters and the actors and actresses in, the, in those films. Uh, so his movies... They're not the least of them. They're just with the. It's a, it's a fascinating franchise, Trevor, and I really want you to watch just those those movies so you can kind of see how literally the style of movie changes with the age. Like as the kids get older, the style of movie changes. Um, so I'm not going to say his are the least strong of those. They're just it's kind of different than the rest of them. But I, I'll stand by his. His are actually still pretty good. I'll stand by his. Okay, duly noted. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of direction, uh, he did not bring his A game uh, to this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It it does have some energetic uh, cinematography and editing uh, on occasion, but it does not extend to the entirety of the film. Uh, the opening number, oh. uh, not the opening number, but uh, the rent yeah. sequence that was that was a highlight uh, in terms of camera movement it's it's it has a lot of energy to it yeah it's really great like everyone's throwing fire around is that like a sane thing for a person to do no but it's (laughs) it looks cool (laughs) yeah and there's there's a handful of sequences in this movie that feel like especially curated Mm -hmm. like like he as director viewed as an opportunity to do some interesting things with the medium of film things that you can't easily do on a stage yeah but so many of the musical numbers in this are shot so flatly and just like what like did we just take a camera out onto the sidewalk and film people at distance so we didn't have to like make good with the city like did we shoot some of the shit he was trying to emulate mark's style of filming oh from here on out i shoot without a script (laughs) quote christopher columbus yeah i i did you know i do still really like the um the Santa Fe scene where they're on the subway, I think that, that that's kind of charming. Um with with uh with, with Colin singing Santa Fe and, and, and you know, everybody kind of around him. It's like in, in the musical I think that's pretty much just um Collins and Angel. Like I, I don't think Mark and Roger and they're definitely not Roger is in that one. Um so, you know, having like them all sort of, you know, in the background of that one and, and, and contributing, I, I thought it was it was really I thought it was a really cute scene. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, no, at the the structure of that mm-hmm. one's it's pretty solid. Um, I would have appreciated some more creative angles um, mm. because, I mean, for one, it is a confined space, so you don't have a lot of room to, to maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, but in twenty twenty three, I would imagine they'd be doing some K pop shit with that and have lots, <laughs> lots, lots of lots of aggressive zooms and dolly movements and and Dutch angles out of nowhere and stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, but as it stands, the performers, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Collins' actor in particular, he really he really has a lot of fun using the poles and yeah. using the space and whatnot. Um, the Tango Maureen uh, stood out to me as a good example of using cinema yeah. to you know emphasize a little bit, to you know import some just like ethereal dancers mm-hmm. uh, just for one stanza. Yeah, a, a lot of fans well appreciate. A lot of fans of the musical do not like that he did that. Uh, that do not like the dream sequence and all of that. Um, I, I thought it was fine. I, I think that, you know, adding that to it, it I, you know, I think a lot of people feel like it wasn't rent. It didn't feel like rent at that point. Um, but 
I thought it was a fine scene. It was a little... I don't know. I was actually okay with, like, Maureen's presence there, because in the musical, we don't see her until, like, pretty near the end of Act 1, where she comes in on a motorcycle. So, you know, she has this pretty grand entrance. You know, we keep hearing about her, because she's she's getting ready for her big performance, um, which, you know, may be, like, one of the things that holds up least well from the Broadway musical these days. Well, I, I don't know. Like, as a piece of visual art um like the song is not great but as a piece of visual art i think it's interesting again time and place um yeah. one thing i i do not like about the movie or the musical is the way it ends roger's song at the end is awful it's like the, it's terrible it's the big thing that he's building up towards this is like the thing that that he's spending all this time that he wants to put out there before he dies and this is what it is it's a garbage like like rock ballad it is it is so bad it's the worst song in the in the musical and it, it's like the show stop it's like the the last number other than the the, the reprise so uh, I, I just yeah i just realized that rosario dawson's rosario dawson is in two films about somebody young having aids um but because uh, kid that's what kids is about but i'm sorry chase have you seen boz lerman's uh moulin rouge oh yeah yeah i've seen moulin rouge okay when's the last time you watched that <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> okay because it's still kind of fresh in my memory my wife and i watched it in december um you guys are bashing the shit out of the uh the direction of this film and i'm like guys it actually it flows pretty nice compared to, to boss lerman's moulin rouge because that movie is a nightmare as far as editing is editing is concerned you guys are you guys are really it is just, it, yeah. it like grabs you just by the, the throat and just shakes you like a wet cat or something <laughs> it's nauseating i uh, kind of feel like um moulin rouge from what i remember is like one of those movies it's like um hey pop some edibles and watch this like that's <laughs> yeah it'll slow it down for you a little bit <laughs> well Boz Luhrmann as a brand, like maximalist, is kind of his his go to. <laughs> like like everything he does in every movie he does is is dialed up to eleven, and it extends the editing and the cinematography. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever heard anybody be described as a maximalist. But if you were going to describe somebody as one, that's it. That's that's the one. Yeah, yeah I, good job. <laughs> like. Stay off of Twitter, Kyle. You'll run into a lot of discussions about Zack Snyder and how he's a maximalist as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not there. So. Oof. Um, but yeah, uh, from a filmmaking standpoint, the movie does have some solid sequences. But uh, oh man, when when it when it's not on, it it drags some serious ass, um, and it 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 beats you down a little bit. If I'm being perfectly honest, I, but I feel like that's musicals in general. I feel like. That that's I mean, if that's not your favorite thing in the world, if you don't genuinely like watching all types of musicals, like like drama, comedy, like I feel like just kind of a song that drags is really just gonna like I didn't particularly care for Little Shop of Horrors, and I forget what's her name, uh, the main lady. She has like a full like it felt like a four minute song, but I'm like dude this is taking forever like this is really taking a long time like i think time just stands still during musicals if you really just don't like the number and this movie's two hours and 15 minutes long so <laughs> i can see how it could really drag yeah it, it can be laborious if if you're not able to to find the vibe mm -hmm. like if you're not able to get on board with with what's putting out 
Um, but in in defense of Little Shop of Horrors, like for me personally, the appeal for that, and also Sweeney Todd, the movie version anyway, mm-hmm. um, is that you get a movie as well as a musical. That's true. Um, Very true. Now I know that Les Mis in particular, I don't believe there's dialogue in that show, in the show version that is. As far as I understand, like pretty much the entirety of it is sung. Yeah, I, th- I think so. The Russell Crowe movie too is also all sung. Oh, I, I'm gonna have to like send just his isolated bits from the movie version to my girlfriend because she <laughs> loves Les Mis, but she's never seen the movie and she never will because I'm not I'm not gonna allow her to because that movie is very. Does she love Hugh Jackman? She loves Hugh Jackman, right? I mean, everybody loves the Jackman, but but Russell Crowe, I just want to isolate his scenes and send oh. them to her just just so she can watch him just tear the art of singing like apart just like watch everything that she holds dear just see it completely shat upon by this man are you just pissed at her or are you trying to get kicked out of the apartment oh, i'm saving to... it for a rainy day kyle i'm saving it for when i've earned sufficient brownie points for it like i, I can get a dig in there and be okay after. she talks shit she talks shit about time cop you're like all right i got you i got you i mean yeah that, that's actually that that would be grounds for forwarding a, a russell crowe montage from from the late miz version but anyway the there's different structures for for musicals and like i said les mis as far as i understand everything in that is sung this has very little dialogue like the the movie version anyway Mm -hmm. i don't know about the show but the movie version has very few dialogue scenes and because our characters are not especially likable um a lot of them tend to be very difficult to get through um but what I liked about Little Shop of Horrors in particular is that it has a nice balance that mm-hmm. me as a fan of film over musical theater, I kind of appreciate having that balance of having some good fun dialogue sequences punctuated by musical numbers. So it like builds anticipation. But when you have song like dovetailing into another like another song, another song, another song, mm-hmm. it, it it gets a little it it makes it a little difficult for me in particular to find my rhythm and and appreciate like all the songs as they come that's just me though yeah and i i think yeah they had a lot of trouble finding that balance like there was um uh some musical numbers that they cut that they shot and uh they ended up cutting from the movie um like in, in the show they go pretty much straight from like um a song like a very short song called halloween which is kind of mark sort of um kind of dealing in his own way with the, the aftermath of Angel's death. Then we go into Angel's funeral. Um, there is like a dialogue scene between uh, Collins and a few other characters. And then we go into um, this sort of sung argument between Mark and Roger. And they decided to cut that because they hadn't had Mark and Roger sing at each other a lot, nearly as much as they had in, in the Broadway show. And um, they said, you know, they, it didn't feel right. So they ended up uh, losing that. Um, yeah, I, I read that they they cut out a few songs and they also cut out some uh, heavier dramatic beats uh, from the film version. Yeah, like just because they felt it was too dark. Yeah, like I, I one thing that sticks out in particular is like in the musical, we're told that uh, Roger's old girlfriend April killed herself and, and like yeah. by slitting her wrists. Ex- explicitly, we're told that. And I guess they did shoot a scene during the montage of um, one song, Glory where Roger finds her in the bathtub and uh, they, they decided to cut that, um, which honestly I think was probably for the best. And, and it's, I think so yeah. too. It wouldn't jive with the rest of the movie very well. Yeah. I, I, I honestly wonder 
I honestly wonder if you could have still gotten away with a PG-13 rating if you had had that. I don't know. Probably not, honestly. Um, regardless of like how how gory or explicit the the display yeah. of that would be, just the content alone would yeah, probably push it to an R. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really heavy, and so I I I I agree with that cut. Um, I think leaving her death a little bit more ambiguous here is fine. Um, so yeah, but yeah, so um, we're approaching the end of this portion yeah. of the discussion here, um, but. Uh, just to wrap things up, Chase, I'd like to ask you: Do you have like a favorite number uh, or a favorite moment or character, or any, like just like standout aspects to this show or this movie? You know, I, I think like maybe my favorite number from the show and and you know the movie and the the musical might be um, "What You Own," which comes near the end. Honestly, like if that had been kind of like the 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 last number of the show, I I, I think I would have enjoyed it more, but. You know, it, it it deals with um, it kind of you know it it's almost it works now as sort of like an anthem of like trying to survive in late stage capitalism. You know, like it's um, survive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I I got that vibe as well. And remember, this is my first time seeing this. Um, this movie came out in two thousand five, by the way. Um, and yeah, uh, it. The, the lyrics of it uh, do resonate uh, in yeah. in 2023. And, and there's also um, just like the harmonies between Mark and Roger who really get to show their ranges here. You know, like Roger's a, a very high tenor and, and Mark is a not quite as high tenor. Um, so getting to listen to them, you know, harmonize and, and do their thing was also it, it, just as a singer is a lot of fun. Um, that is the one where I'd be like, if I, if I had uh, a, a friend to sing with, that would be one we would pull out for karaoke, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, hopefully you get to do that sometime. Yeah, we'll but... see. I want to do more singing this year for the show. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, please. I, I really enjoyed your uh, acapella, uh, Carmen San Diego. Oh, but, thank, thank you. Uh, I don't know how long ago that was, but I did. I was impressed uh, that you put that together. I, I have purchased more acapella CDs from Japan, so uh, working on it. <laughs> I don't want to. Pro- I don't want to overpromise anything, but working on okay well stay tuned for the the wrap-up portion of the episode and we'll uh we'll get to ranking our guilty pleasures Mm -hmm. so there'll be just a little bit more rent talk as we move forward but um so yeah i feel it's only appropriate uh that we transition from one musical production into another musical themed production but before we do that i'm gonna throw it over to newsy real quick so he can give us the inside scoop on what was going down in 2001 it's September 2001. Alicia Keys' Fallen tops the Billboard Hot 100, reigning for six non-consecutive months, bookending the month of September. From problematic director Victor Salma, Jeepers Creepers enjoys the largest box office take for a Labor Day weekend film debut. The September 11th terrorist attacks result in the destruction of the World Trade Center and nearly 3,000 deaths, effectively changing, in an instant, the course of world history and global politics for years to come. Back to you, Trevor, Kyle, and Chase Keys. Jesus. Way to bring the mood down, Newsy. Anyway, uh, so Kyle, uh, would you care to introduce your guilty pleasure pick? Did he say making fuck? Yeah, I will introduce my uh, my film. Uh, it is uh, Rockstar from 2001, starring Mr. Mark Wahlberg and uh, Jennifer Aniston. Uh, this is 
I don't think I saw this movie in 2001. I think it was maybe 2004, 2005 by the time I saw it. About the time that Rent came out, actually. Um, I was heavy into learning how to play guitar at the time. And uh, this movie is a guilty pleasure of mine, like I said at the top. One of the, one of the reasons why it's a guilty pleasure is because it's Mark Wahlberg, who, like I said, is not the greatest actor in the world. But uh, I love a good rise and fall. This is like Boogie Nights Diet Coke. This is the Diet Coke of Boogie Nights. Like this is a this is a rise and fall of a star, but it's nowhere near the same. Uh, it's it, it's it's a little different. Um, but the director I didn't realize is uh, he has several movies that I actually really love. Uh, Stephen Herrick. Uh, he has at least one movie that we've covered on this podcast. Three Musketeers, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite movies, but uh, a few others. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, and <laughs> one I think that you like, Trevor, Mr. Holland's yeah. Opus. Yeah, oh. I, I really do love that movie. Yeah. I saw that movie in a very tiny theater. For some reason, I uh, I tugged at my arms, my mom's uh, sleeve and was like, hey, I want to see this Richard Dreyfus movie in 1995. And she's like... <laughs> what (laughs) okay sure (laughs) now i may not i'm not going to defend birdcage to everybody i can i will completely i will completely take in certain arguments of that movie not all arguments but i will take certain arguments with that movie but i will hear nothing nothing about three musketeers (laughs) that movie is that movie is uh, is tim curry perfection speaking of of music uh that song kyle (laughs) oh I, i i think about it a lot uh, <laughs> Who, who's the trio? It is Rod Stewart, uh, Sting, and Brian Adams. That is the trio. Oh. <laughs> if you're wondering why would they have three raspy voice guys sing, that was the that was what they wanted at the time. Um, this is actually a movie that I've wanted you to watch for a, a while now because this is this is just a fun one for me. Um, the, I love the uh, supportive parents. I love the shithead cop brother. Actually, is he a cop or a security guard? I can't remember. I think, I think he was a, he's cop. a cop. He's yeah, a cop. I think he's yeah. a cop. Shithead cop, and just things. He's a person that things should not work out for him, and they just they just happen to they just happen to work out for him, and he completely fucks it all up, and then it becomes the worst possible thing: a white guy singing with an uh, an acoustic guitar in the nineties. Uh, so. <laughs> lots of flannel. Lots you know, of flannel. Is as that movie was wrapping up, I was thinking like, oh, he's going to start going grunge, so he's going to get ahead of, of you know, like the death of hair metal. It's like, oh no, it's worse. He's 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 like uh, Brian Adams or something, or, or no, uh, not Brian Adams, uh, 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 John John Mayer. Is that is that who it is? Oof, oof. I was like, yeah, that, that's who it is. That's who he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but but Kyle, uh, why is it you decide to go with this one uh, for this week? Um, because, I mean, this is a guilty pleasure of mine. Like, I'm never going to, I'm not going to admit to uh, a Mark Wahlberg movie besides Boogie Nights and Pain and Gain as being movies that I genuinely enjoy watching. I'm like, this is one that I genuinely enjoy watching. Uh, and also a little bit of my music nerdness comes out in this film as well. And I feel like, is what's his name? Dominic, what, he's uh, Jigsaw from, um... West, oh, I believe. Dominic West, yes. Uh, I feel like he is just right there in my uh, rogues gallery of uh, guilty pleasures because Punisher Warzone is right there. He, he's <laughs> And 28 Days Later. That is not 28 Days Later. Uh, 28 Days with Sandra Bullock where she goes ah. to rehab. She's the boyfriend. He's the boyfriend in that. Uh, I seriously considered that movie as an alternative to this. 
But one way or another, Dominic West was going to be on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Chase, uh, had you seen this movie prior uh, to this discussion? I had never even heard of this movie, to be honest with you. I, I... This one was actually hard for me to find. I I have a uh, certain website that I like to go to for uh, movies. It was not on this. This is maybe like the the the, one of the first times I've been on that website and been like, oh, they don't have this movie. Like they had (laughs) another movie called Rockstar that came out later, but the two thousand one movie they did not have. So I I I had to uh, do some googling to find this one. Um, like this might sound meaner than I mean it to. Um, we were mean to your pick go ahead (laughs) chase before you before you before you ask your question this might make you put a little hot sauce on it i hated rent i i got through half of it so go ahead no no so no it wasn't a question like do you remember that that um kickboxing movie with kevin james oh Oh, here comes the boom Uh, yeah uh, that movie is to rocky what this movie is to a better like rise and fall rock star movie i feel like i don't know what that movie is but for sure that that, this is exactly what i was thinking when i was watching this like like this is perfectly serviceable but wow there's a better version of this i that i know i have seen Um, he's not even beating his 13 inch dick in a truck for money like this is (laughs) there's such a better downfall movie that, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is Boogie Nights light. Like, this is yeah. barely a downfall. Like, it's like he just kind of forgot where he was and was drinking a little bit too much. And he maybe womanized a little bit. And then it just, the guys that are in the band with him are kind of dicks. That was the worst thing that happened. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I mean, it's I, very low stakes. I, I'm kind of okay with that. Like, I'm okay with the fact that it's just like, hey, it just, it, it like this, this lifestyle just isn't for yeah. me. That, that's an, that's an, an absolutely fine message. I just don't know that. I don't know, like, like multiple times throughout this movie, I was like, okay, well, here's the, the, the beat that I knew was coming, and wow, we're only this much into the movie, huh? We're like, oh wow, we've only got 12 <laughs> minutes to go, and that just happened, huh? Okay, all right, well. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm yeah, not defending it. 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 Yeah. I, I do think, Kyle, like actually both of your representations of it. I, I actually am a little embarrassed that I was able to pull Who Comes the Boom out so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be able to reference that film in my mind that quickly. <laughs> but um, I do think the Diet Coke version of the downfall story mm-hmm. is a very good summation of, of what this movie is. Because it, it, it is very light. It is very, it's cotton candy. It's, the, like, it, it doesn't challenge you in any way. It doesn't challenge convention yeah. in any way. It, it, and Blow is a, is a runner-up for this type of movie where the, the downfalls are the bad. Have you... Trevor, I know you haven't seen Requiem for a Dream. Chase, have you seen Requiem for a Dream? I, I have not, no. Oh, my gosh, guys. That is... That is... <laughs> that is the hardest, hardest... Like, it's not even a rise. It's just a fall. Like, it, it is... Yeah. It is so depressing that I going back and watching this movie it's so it, it's it's actually positive it's a positive falling down movie compared to that movie um yeah i just i i have fun with this and i like a good like a good rock star movie like just the ego like i'm a huge doors fan i like i love the val kilmer doors movie um i like i think i get what the first blu-ray i think i ever gifted you trevor was uh sid, sid and nancy uh gary oldman yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of a low-key music nerd, so I like these types of movies where the ego of the rock star... But this isn't even that huge of an ego rock star. This is just, like you said, like a guy who just kind of just loses himself in the lifestyle a little bit, and it's not even that big a deal. 
Yeah, it, it's actually kind of funny because like Marky Mark, and I, I refuse to call him anything. But no, it's Marky, Marky Mark. Mark. It just yeah. rolls directly yeah, yeah, no, off the tongue, sure. and it, it it ties him back to his his early days. Yeah. Um, but um, Marky Mark actually has a handful of movies on his filmography that kind of fall into this loose category of story Mm -hmm. um the first one that came to mind as i was watching with this was like oh it's kind of like invincible um which i don't know if either of you've seen Mm -hmm. it um kyle chase okay i'm gonna take that as a no uh so invincible is based on a true story this this movie rockstar is talk it's talking around a true story it's not actually a true story but it references things that actually happened with judas priest apparently um the band yeah 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 but um invincible is based on a true story and it's about a a uh i think it's a special teams player uh for i believe it was the eagles Uh, i could be wrong on the team in in the nfl but he was a he was a like a, a scrub or a scab player basically oh um, right they were they, they they talked about this in that episode of it's always sunny yeah oh, kyle i'm surprised you didn't pick up on that. <laughs> well no i have a buddy did you see an extra in there with uh tribal tattoos down his arms did you remember seeing i mean extra? i did but but that's do my I recognize that's him? my buddy uh, he's actually a friend of mine his name is his name is phil yeah he was uh he's from philly and he was uh he played arena football and he was an extra in that film oh so oh, that, wow. that's my buddy phil yeah that would make sense. Pull from the local talent pool, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, Invincible is is about a, a average Joe mm-hmm. who is given the go ahead to play with the big leagues for a brief period of time. Um, so very similar thematically uh, in some ways, although it doesn't have the the like the big headedness that comes with that the the rise and the fall. It's more just about the rise. Um, and also the fighter to some degree, also based on a true Oof. story, also based on the life of Mickey Ward, uh, the the, bo- the boxer from Massachusetts. Um, he was also kind of just an everyman who, through through just like plying his trade and and knuckling down, found himself in extraordinary circumstances and became a world champion. That is also actually another Mark Wahlberg film, uh, a film that Mark Wahlberg is supposed to be the lead of that I really like but is stolen, obviously, by Christian Bale. Oh, Um, it's by design that Marky Mark has very little to do with that movie. He's just there. He is is a blank slate, and everybody else is selling their asses off. Melissa Leo is great in that as his mom, um, and Christian Bale obviously steals the show, and he's just kind of there. It, it's like, a, I put in time at the gym, bro. I did. Like I trained up for this. This is the Christian Bale <laughs> show, and the, that movie's weird because the way it's shot in certain scenes, it's just like that's that's a weird. Like the sex scene in, in particular, I'm like, this is a movie about a, a a boxer who has a crackhead brother. I'm like, this is how you're shooting the sex scene in this movie. I'm like, okay, but it, it it's an artistic choice, but okay. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Interesting film. Last thing I'll say before I pass the baton because I've been talking for a minute here is uh. I think the biggest thing that I appreciate about this movie, and I actually did enjoy this movie, um, largely because it's just, you can just put it on. Like, I wasn't, like, yeah. super engaged in it. It was just kind of pleasant. You get it. It was very yeah. surface level. It was it was just kind of nice. Um, but, like, in terms of, like, digging a little deeper, from a thematic standpoint, what I actually found kind of neat about it, and this is not something I've seen in that many movies, is that ultimately it ends up being a story of it's not so much winning the big game at the end of the year or like winning the big championship it's more what comes next 
mm-hmm. and and valuing that because ultimately that's just going to be a moment in your overall life narrative. So the way the way you live your life after that is probably worth valuing more than just that one peak that you have in your lifetime. And I thought that was a nice little message to to throw in there. It wasn't exactly delivered in the most brilliant of ways, but it's just kind of neat that that's ultimately what the story ends up being about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's 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 kind of fun that he's just like this super nerd, like he's just a fanboy who ends up being really good at being good at singing. I'm sorry, I love the him in the the recording booth at the beginning when he's auditioning with the band because it's so clearly him lip syncing. And it's absolutely terrible. It's like, you know he absolutely does not have this kind of range. <laughs> right. Yeah, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Uh, the, the, surely the greatest vocal talent that's ever graced our ears. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Because uh, it, like, it, it, it would be like going from, you know, doing a karaoke of, of something and, like, just happened to, to like have somebody here who's like, hey, do you want to replace the lead singer of the band that you were just singing karaoke for? Like, yeah. It's it's so silly and, and ridiculous that it just it, it, it escalates so quickly. Um, well, I, I feel like the way Van Halen went, like they went David Lee Roth, that first Van Halen album is absolute magic. It's fantastic. And I think they maybe put out one or two albums after that. And then just the clash between the Van Halen brothers and uh, David Lee Roth. It's like David Lee Roth's like, I'm the star. I'm going to go. And they went to... Um, Oh, what's Sammy his Hagar. Sammy Hagar, and then Gary Sharon after that. So it was like they did have the talent on the instruments, but they just kept kind of bouncing from singer to singer. But they were all completely different. But it seemed like this band was like, we're going to try to keep doing the same thing. <laughs> well, we just want a guy that has the pipes to do what we want him to do. Yeah, our little like, puppet, like basically. just a sock puppet, essentially. But so, um, on, on the topic of music, sorry to cut you off, Kyle, but on the topic it. of music, I'm curious about the overall like feeling uh, towards the music and the musical style uh, presented in this movie, because... Um, I don't imagine we all have the same taste in music. It's it's not something that happens all the time to have everybody in the room have the same opinion. Um, Chase, like, do, is this kind of music presented in this movie something that you appreciate, or is this just like fucking? I mean, I, fingernails on a chalkboard. No, for you? no it's, it's not fingernails on a chalkboard. I, I appreciate it and respect it, but it's it's definitely not my kind of music. Um, okay, you know, I I mean, I, I like some, you know. I mean, I, I I like to think that my my musical tastes are pretty uh, uh, varied, but I, I've never been much of a metal person. Um, this hasn't quite been my my cup of tea. It did have me thinking, like, um, if the opportunity presented itself for any of you to replace a member of a band, what band would you want to be a part of? Dude, that's such a complex question. I don't know if I can answer that right now. <laughs> okay, so all right, all right. Well, I'll, I'll vamp oh. for a second, give you give you a minute to collect yourself and just point out that um, I, for one, uh, really do enjoy uh, older heavy metal in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, though I did find that the uh, Steel Dragon uh, band, uh, the central band to this film, doesn't exactly have a heavy metal vibe to me. It's more like arena rock, like, like hair Oh, band yeah, yeah, it's, it's more like hair metal. It's butt yeah. rock. Yeah. It's yeah. butt rock. Yeah. yeah, it's butt rock. Okay. It, 100% butt rock. Uh, it has more of a... Yeah, it, it's not exactly like Iron Maiden or Judas Priest or something along those lines. It's more, it's more like Motley Crue, which actually is referenced in the film. Like, they actually do play a track or two from them. Um, not that there's a problem with that. Um, I just thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, 
that their sound is more akin to that. Um, but on the whole, I, I I did actually enjoy some of the tracks that they they actually composed specifically for this film. It's actually oh, yeah. kind of shocking to me that some of the original music for the film actually is not half bad. I would yeah. I'm used to stuff like that completely sucking. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, he he has like a, a ballad or something early on that I was like, I'd actually listen to this on a CD or something. Like this isn't bad. I, I enjoy this. Um, you know, and like I said, like I didn't hate any of the music in here. It's just you know not the kind of thing I would normally listen to. I'm a, I'm more of an acapella person, you know. Like, uh, I think I have, that's fair. I think I have three different answers to your question, Chase. Okay, all um, right. All right. <laughs> okay, so first, if I was going to replace somebody so that I could go on tour with them, I think I would replace the guitarist from Primus because I I actually really oh. love Primus. Okay. Um, I would like to play guitar for CU Space Cowboy. They're my favorite uh, new hardcore band. The lead singer is actually trans, um, and they are fantastic. Uh, but I think if I was going to do it, um, unfortunately, my favorite band, Every Time I Die, uh, uh, the brothers were uh, frontman and guitarist. And Trevor, I believe you do know the other guitarist as the Butcher from AEW. Yes, um, yes. They just recently broke up a year ago, almost uh, like almost a month, a year ago, like in January. Um, if I could take over as frontman from Every Time I Die, I think that I could, uh, I could, I could do a thing or two for him. Um, okay. Unfortunately, yeah. we, lost, we lost Keith. Uh, he had to part okay. ways. Uh, well, you should put together your demo. Get on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're gonna hire me. The motherfuckers are in their forties, <laughs> their late thirties, early forties. I don't think they're gonna hire me. <laughs> yeah but um on the whole i i did enjoy this movie it's it it is put together pretty well um it's not an outstanding film from like a filmmaking standpoint no uh it is very by the numbers we did already talk about that how the the overall structure of it the the actual plot events none of this is going to surprise you in any way really although there is a early revelation um that for the time not necessarily by today's standards, but for the time, um, I thought it was kind of impressive because the movie threw me a little bit of a curveball. And Kyle, I think you know what I'm getting at here. So earlier in the film, uh, there there are some slurs tossed around that are not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the general vibe and like atmosphere uh, in regards to gay people in general, in the early goings in the film especially, is pretty aggressive. Uh, such that it's like, uh, such yeah. that I'm like, is this is this okay? Like, like we, what are we doing here? I mean, I get it. Like, it's a, it's a period film to some degree, so like maybe they're trying to emphasize that. But I was actually taken aback by, or I was actually surprised um, by the movie kind of setting you up for something a little bit later, where it actually directly addresses that, mm-hmm. uh, because the movie actually does have some loose theming surrounding that, um, mm-hmm. surrounding misogyny and and surrounding like anti-gay beliefs um in the form of the original lead singer yeah uh, for the band steel dragon Mm -hmm. um being i guess outed as gay and feeling ostracized and rightfully so because he is being ostracized from his own band for for being gay um and then our our lead character marky mark ends up being in the room for this and seeing it all unfold like big as life and twice as ugly in front of him and it's a big shock to his system, but the way he handles it, the way he processes it, is very mature. And it's it's actually pretty impressive that the movie goes there. That it actually challenges this, and for its time especially, um, kind of ahead of its time, I'd say. Yeah, I, mm, 
I mean, like as a period piece, maybe I I don't know if if we were quite there in, in 2001. Like I feel like we were maybe a little bit past this. It, it, maybe it was a little bit. Um, uh, Chase, I'm going to challenge you on that. I want you yeah. to go back and try to watch the TV show Scrubs, and I want I want you to let me know how far you get into that series. No, I see. Here's the thing. Like I actually really liked Scrubs. I don't want to watch it again though. Um, don't I, do I, not. I, I Just, super don't. I super don't because I I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, no, I it's I, bad. I uh, yeah yeah yeah. Um, Yep, it is. It is. It is pretty bad. Um, there's a lot of sitcoms where I'm like, "Wow, I can't watch this anymore." Can't go cause... back. Yeah. <laughs> no, but go ahead and finish. Your sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, Chase, go ahead. Did I have a? What was I saying? <laughs> I'm sorry. I completely derailed you. I apologize. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> you were saying about the time period, like if this was uh, a product oh. of its time. Oh no, I I, I think I, I kind of said you know like I, I I hear what you're saying though like a lot of shows yeah i guess you know maybe putting myself there again we weren't quite there yet and, and yeah product of its time and all that it's i guess maybe it's just more of a shame you know i i see like even stuff now sometimes you know it, it's like oh this is this is as far as we've come huh this is this is the best we can do yeah. um yeah if i'm gonna bring things back to another video essayist uh i think it was like renegade cut or somebody like that it was talking about how like there was an episode of mary tyler moore where like they just had a gay character in it and it wasn't really like a big deal you know they just didn't make a big deal about it and he's kind of like i think we can at least do as good as like this episode of mary tyler moore from the 70s like today or we could have expected you know like at least as good as that in 2001 and we didn't get it in a lot of ways and and it's frustrating it's really frustrating um sometimes but but yeah you know like most of that stuff isn't too terrible for its time it's it's kind of benign but yeah it is there and it's unfortunate but for the most part like you guys have been saying this is a very breezy movie it's like i would say about a lot of video games we've covered lately it's fine it's yeah it's fine I i think the point that i wanted to emphasize the most is not especially that it's groundbreaking but just that the movie had enough sense to call itself out Okay. The, yeah, the yeah. film is the film is structured in such a way that it it's allowing that to be present in the dialogue and in the characterizations, and then there's like a hard point where the movie actually turns inward and introspective and and says, yeah, all that stuff that all these characters have been expressing, this movie isn't endorsing that. Okay, that yeah. This movie is actually challenging that. Yeah. So it's it's just yeah. like letting it be there. And in 2023, especially, you're watching it and you're like, this, is this going to be well, the whole movie? Because this is going to be a tough sit. And, the, and then that, that sequence happens and it's like, oh, that's there very intentionally. Okay. Very yeah, yeah. Okay. To, I, well, to yeah. kind of point the finger and say that this is this is very common to this subculture. Yeah. But it's actually not okay, even though it is common well, to the subculture. I do agree that they kind of make the bandmates out to be ass. It's like, oh yeah, this singer's leaving, he's the asshole. But then as you get to learn the band, it's like, no, they're the assholes for kicking him out. However, we do have that scene with Marky Mark when he realizes, I forget uh, I forget their name in the film, but we realize that they are they are actually, actually male um, in, in the film. And he kind of is just like, Oh man, I think I hooked up with it. It's not as bad like you said it before. Like Ace Ventura is a hard one for you to even try to watch. It's not as bad as that, but he still kind of has like that ick moment where, you know what I mean? Yeah, a bit of that, that no homo kind of thing. That's not 
Yeah, it's not good. But he's not very prominent in the 2000s. But yeah, but it, but to a different character, it would have destroyed them. Like that would have been their downfall. They would have made a big show of it. Yes. he just he doesn't say a word. He just leaves. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's kind of the extent of it. I suppose you're right. I actually, when I picked this, and I haven't rewatched it because I've seen it so many times, I completely forgot about that character until we were gearing up to do this. And I'm like, oh my god, I forgot that there was that thread in this movie. So I've been trying to think about the film, and I'm like, okay. Okay, how did they portray this character? How did that go? Um, uh, some music nerd stuff real quick, uh, just to kind of change the subject. Uh, Trevor, you mentioned Rob. Did you mention Judas Priest? Rob Halford. Yes, Rob Halford. So uh, I don't know the details of uh, when he left Judas Priest, if it was because he came out as gay, but uh, he was definitely re-embraced by the metal community and his bandmates. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the, you you may not like metal, but uh, they are very... Uh, well, I don't know about Norwegian black metal. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a different kind of. That's a whole other yeah. thing, bro. <laughs> uh, but those of us that grew up around the Manson age, the Marilyn Manson age, uh, are definitely they're definitely much. I know that's what's terrible is that he was he was the beacon of people who felt different and who felt like outsiders, and he's an absolute piece of human garbage. Yeah, uh, how many pieces of shit are we gonna bring dude. On, this one, on this one episode? It sucks, dude. It really sucks that he he. He was the poster child for all the uh, outsiders, but yeah, now he is mm-hmm. absolute human garbage. Uh, second, uh, did you yeah. do you have any idea who the guy playing guitar is in this movie? Uh, I do not, but I was actually very curious to hear uh, if you recognize them because I was pretty sure that there were a lot of actual musicians in this film. For sure, uh, and it's actually weird how I figured out who he was. Uh, so I didn't realize. I was watching the movie one day, and I heard a pinch harmonic. Uh, do you know what that? It's where you hear like the like just like a quick little, <laughs> and I'm like, one I'm, more time. Could you give me one more, Kyle? <laughs> uh, I heard the pinch harmonic, and I'm like, that sounds like Zach Wild. And then I looked at the TV because it was just kind of on in the background. It's yeah. Zach Wild from Black Label Society, and he was also, I think, he got his start as a guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne uh, back in the day after Randy Rhodes had passed away. Um, but yeah, I picked up the I picked up the, the guitar style of one of the songs. I think it's the first song that Marky Mark does with them, where he falls down the uh, down the stairs. Uh, but I thought that was cool casting. He's the guy double fist in the Rolling Rocks. Um, he actually has a disease now that uh, he can't drink. Uh, I believe he, if he gets a small little cut, he will uh, he will actually bleed out. Like he has oh, he hemophiliac. I believe so. Something along those lines. I didn't realize that hemophilia meant you couldn't drink. Uh, I think. It, it thins the blood, so that's one of the things. Is that if you okay. get a cut yeah. and you can't, it's hard to stop bleeding if you've right. been drinking. You don't clot properly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that's the that's the music nerd stuff, at least for now. No, I, I appreciate it. Like that's part of the fun of talking <laughs> about I'm, music stuff yeah, with you. I'm, I'm a choir kid. I like music nerd stuff. <laughs> I think di- different types of music nerd stuff, but you know, uh, Trevor, did we get an answer of that of, of my question from you? I can't remember now. Oh fuck. Um, yeah. So my my. M- my connection to the world of music extends only as far as my two ears. Okay. Um, I, I don't play any instruments. Uh, I don't have any sort of singing ability, nor much of a desire to sing. Um, so I, I'm not a good candidate okay. for All right. fair providing enough. any sort of meaningful response to that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. All right, fair enough, fair enough. 
Uh, he would like to be uh, uh, Hans Zimmer's assistant. I think that's uh, <laughs> where he would be. <laughs> I mean, that is some of the stuff I listen to the most, is film scores and whatnot. Okay. I don't know, maybe hang out with Weird Al or something. Oh, there you go, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like Weird Al. He's great. <laughs> um, R.E.M. R.E.M.? REM. Yep. I love REM. Um, I, I, I do not sound anything like Michael Stipe. It would be a bad idea to, to have me replace Michael Stipe, but, uh, uh, love REM. That, that, that is, that is my brand of, of rock and roll is, is, is like whatever you want to call REM, whatever they do. Alt rock. I don't know. If I was going to replace somebody as far as respect goes, I would go lead singer Talking Heads. Uh, oh, if I yeah, wanted yeah. David Byrne, yeah. If I wanted longevity as far as a music career is concerned, Ramstein or Depeche Mode. I think those two oh, would be. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, uh, to to kind of wrap things up with Rockstar, um, Kyle, you had talked about the director, but um, are there any? Um, stand out like musical numbers or, or sequences in particular in this film that you really like hold dear or like to come back to well the stand up and shout the main the main song when he's coming down uh it does bump and slap and it is pretty fire as far as butt rock uh butt rock songs go um but this is more along the lines of kind of like taking back sunday where it's less about the game and more about what's happening behind the scenes like you can just kind of see a little bit of the rock and roll a a very light version of the rock and roll lifestyle him getting into drugs um his stupid little eyebrow ring that he gets uh, which is super fun that they completely uh they completely shut down um yeah but I think the other thing that I, I think the one the one thread of this movie that I found um, kind of holds up is the relationship between um, Jennifer Aniston and uh, Spall Timothy Spall uh, yeah. the the tour manager and then him on like dialysis like smoking a cigarette it's just like <laughs> one you get to see this person's been through the sorry uh, this this person's been through the ringer this is kind of the life like what kind of the toll the lifestyle takes on you but in a world where she is completely shut out and kind of uh kind of a loner like she kind of just has this friendship with this this one guy which i thought was a, a charming thread that they had in the movie but as far as songs go yeah it is uh is stand up and shout that's it's pretty awesome yeah i'm not positive that that was my favorite but it is a pretty <laughs> solid track i could listen to that on my own time and probably enjoy it um one thing i did like about uh, Jennifer Aniston's character is that moment when she decides to leave. Yeah. Um, because it is kind of, in, it plays into the theme of the story pretty well, where it's just like, it, you're living your dream and me as your manager. She she has that moment where she follows him when he's kicked out of his, his tribute band mm-hmm. at, towards the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, where he bounces from that to actually joining the Steel Dragon band that he does covers of. Like, he's living his dream, he thinks anyway yeah um but when she leaves with him initially she says that like part of being a manager is going where the talent goes and she does so because she's loyal to him and whatnot but ultimately her her amount of power and influence on his career is dialed back to nothing yeah at one point and she knows it and she's she's collecting a paycheck presumably but she's not actually living her dream Mm. she's just kind of getting paid to hang out occasionally she's not even allowed to hang out with him whenever she wants because the band is so stringent about their schedule and stuff um so her just deciding to leave because 
you know, this is working out beautifully for you, but I'm just kind of here and that's not what I want to do. I thought that was kind of neat that they did that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also you, you mentioned briefly, it's actually really kind of neat. It's a small detail, but it's really kind of neat that he has supportive parents. Yeah. He is super supportive. I'm so so used to stories like this having like, you know, rebellion as being part of it, where it's like you're chasing your dreams and nobody believes in you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wonder what that means. Oh gosh. (laughs) But in this movie, his parents, Support super supportive yeah and it's actually kind of neat to see that family dynamic play out in the movie where like you said his his brother i think older brother is yeah. a cop yeah like and is uncreative uh, he's just kind of a dirtbag i was calling him glenn i think yeah oh yeah it's glenn it's he, glenn from wedding yeah, singer he, for he's sure he's glenn he yeah. looks like a glenn yeah uh, from yeah. the wedding singer who he's also a dick bag in that song yeah. in he's that great movie as well. he's great in that movie too yeah. yeah but what i liked about that was that he's a cop he's uncreative but he has a younger brother who, while he's not, like, making bank or anything, he has a dream. He's striving for something, and his parents are in a position to support him in that. So his passion is what gives them passion. I'm so, it's like, yeah. oh, you have a thing that you really want to do? Of course we'll support you. Your shithead brother, though, he's just content to be a fucking cop. He's just a goon. Like, Motherfucker's in his 30s. Ambition, then there's nothing to support. Yeah. Motherfucker's in his 30s and he's still eating cereal here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what's wrong with eating cereal. I mean, it's... it's uh, no, no, he's eating cereal at his parents' house as a cop. There's nothing wrong with eating cereal. It's just that <laughs> oh, like he's okay. not doing gotcha, it at gotcha. his own right, right, place. Right. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. I completely forgot about something, Trevor, and then we, we can absolutely yep. move on to Ernest. Um, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um <laughs> But where he he's just like he meets the band. He's like walking through there, and he finally meets them. And he's like, "Hey, man, I'm so sorry to hear about your dog." And he's like, "What?" And he's like, "Your dog died." And he's like, "Yeah." Uh, so we're gonna have you sing. It's just like this is the <laughs> '80s. It's like how the fuck did you even know about that, dude? That's yeah, no crazy. internet. It's yeah. just through back alley chats or like the dirt sheets, the, or the, 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 the fan club, yeah. they, the the newsletter that they, they might just be like completely manufacturing bullshit to endear them to their fans for all they know you know like yeah uh, yeah as was the style at the time but, sorry um, last no, go ahead. <laughs> last thing i wanted to say was i did like um when marky mark ultimately chooses to leave the band um he has that line uh, i gotta go take a piss yeah, that, yeah. i liked um, that that was good that's good i like that a lot because it's symbolic yeah. because that uh when he has his first concert or whatever, he mm-hmm. tells Jennifer Aniston, like, I gotta take a piss. And she's like, use it. Like, use that, that giddy energy and carry it out onto the stage with you. So, like, not only is it a good line, it also calls back to that by saying he doesn't have the giddiness anymore. Like, like it's just like, I'm gonna take that piss and take it over there yeah. instead of on the stage. <laughs> you know, there's some... Um... Uh, 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 since being uh, uh, banned on Instagram for a couple days, I've been uh, getting into <laughs> Tumblr a lot. Um, there's a meme on Tumblr. It's like a skeleton. He's running away, and it's just kind of saying, like, hey, you know what? If things suck, you can just peace out, like, whatever it is. Like, is it a shitty friendship? Is it a shitty job? Just just get the fuck out of there. And yeah. I, I thought about that meme when when he said that, you know, and I was like, yeah, this isn't working for him anymore. So he's going to, he's, yep. he's going to, he's going to nope the fuck out. He's going to get out of here. I just uh, took a piss it, with my friend recently. One of my friends. So yeah, I'm just like, no, well, I'm yeah, done. You know, sometimes you got to do that, right? Yeah. Because yeah, you do. No, inertia is a hell of a thing. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes 
sometimes it's not the easiest thing to walk away from, but yes, oftentimes it is a very important thing to do for yourself. Well, uh, just to, just a final thing with Rockstar, and one of the things, one of the reasons I was in a band when I was younger, I played guitar, and um, this was kind of the movie that, like, sometimes you have like you had dreams when you were younger, like I wish I could have done this, I wish I could have done that, and this is kind of the movie that helped me kind of realize like this is not necessarily the lifestyle that you're going to live, but it's going to be. You're going to be tired of playing the same fucking eight or nine songs every night for a year. And it's just like, is that something that you really wanted? And it's always something that I come back to. I'm like, man, I wish I would have been a professional musician. No, you don't. Because <laughs> it probably really <laughs> sucks. <laughs> at least at that time. Yeah. yeah. And I, like, I wish I had stuck with music, but I am thankful I, I am not a famous musician. <laughs> Let me put it that That's way. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. And you know the music will always be there, so you can find your way back to it. Hopefully, hopefully someday. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going anywhere. And on that note, I'm going to throw it over to Newsy one last time uh, to get us up to speed with the events of April 1990. It's April 1990. Taylor Dane's "Love Will Lead You Back" claws its way to the top of the Billboard Hot 100, only to be dethroned the next two months by the pop culture juggernaut that was Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles explodes onto the top of the Hollywood box office, enjoying the biggest opening for an independent film of its day. In Manchester, England, a riot in Strange Ways Prison persists for three weeks and three days, resulting in the longest prison riot in British history. Back to you, Trevor, Kyle, and Chase Keys. Thank you, Newsy. Hopefully Ye and Chris Brown are the last of the shitbags that we have to talk about today. Okay, well, anyway, I guess that wraps up our review of uh, Kyle's pick, Rockstar, uh, from 2001, uh, directed by Stephen Herrick. Stephen? Stephen. So, uh, we've done two musical-themed movies back-to-back. I think it's time for something a little different. <laughs> uh, so we've actually gone in reverse chronological order with our reviews here. So my uh, guilty pleasure pick is actually the earliest film that came out between these three. Um, and my pick uh, is Ernest Goes to Jail uh, from 1990, directed by one John Cherry. Um, now, I, as I said uh, when Chase had asked uh, how I how I qualify thinking something as a uh, guilty pleasure uh, in regards to myself. Um, the reason why I consider this a guilty pleasure is because it's a, uh, it's a little embarrassing, or at least I find it a little embarrassing uh, to have this on my shelf of, of Blu-rays. Uh, I have very few comedies uh, in terms of my film collection, um, but this is one of them. Um, and it's one that I, I was exposed to from a very early age. And for whatever the fuck reason, I think it's pretty funny. So, are, are you uh, are you a, a pretty big fan of the Ernest character? Because uh, I know there's been a lot of Ernest movies. There's been this one, like Ernest goes to camp, or uh, uh, the importance of being Ernest. I assume is an Ernest movie. Uh, <laughs> scared straight. No, scared straight. <laughs> I mean, that's Ernest goes to jail too. Excuse me. Yeah. But, um, to answer your question, though, Chase. Um, I think I tried to be an Ernest fan okay. uh, when I when I was a little kid. Like like the parents did rent some of these movies. I have seen several of them, 
Um, but I am by no means an expert. I'm actually looking. Uh, the The Ernest Wikipedia page is quite the rabbit hole, by the way. It's terrifying. Terrifyingly dense, such that I didn't bother <laughs> to read most of it. But um, looking at the Ernest filmography, um, most of this, it needs to be said, happened before I would have been around for it. Um, I was born in 87. Um, so quite a lot of this happened before I came around. Um, but Ernest Goes to Camp was like his first starring one. I remember hearing that that was, that's often thought of as one of the better ones. Ernest Saves Christmas is one that I know you, Chase, have some things to say yeah, about. Yeah, I, but I, I, I can save that for later, though. No, we'll, we'll get to it in just one yeah. second. But uh, Goes to Jail comes next. That's a, the, There's a reason why it's the one we're talking about today, because it's the, my favorite um, as well as a guilty pleasure. Ernest Scared Stupid actually legitimately scared me as a child, um, such that I've seen it very few times, but actually do remember it being kind of fun. Um, and I want to say that's probably like peak Ernest is around Goes to Jail and Scared Stupid, because after that kind of marks the decline. Uh, we have Rides Again in 93, and then beyond that, it's all direct-to-video, and most of them kind of suck. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I like Jim Varney. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that the vast majority of his body of work as an actor exists in the form of earnest commercials and TV shows and movies and such. Um, And I just I just find him massively endearing uh, as a screen presence. Um, So him yucking it up as earnest, even though it's it's very exceedingly broad and it does get a little tiresome in certain like long stretches where it's clearly him just kind of vamping in front of the camera. It's just kind of neat to see the guy, especially now that he's been passed away for so long. Yeah, I, you know, I when I was watching this, I was like, this is like if you somehow mashed together Popeye and Urkel. Yeah, actually, that's a <laughs> pretty good, that's a pretty good summary. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, the, the character of Ernest apparently uh, was actually created uh, by the director of this film. Uh, he's kind of the, the, the shepherd of the oh. Ernest franchise. Wait, so it wasn't Jim Varney who created the character? It was the two of them, uh, the, the two of them together. I, I assumed like maybe this was like a thing he was doing in stand up or something before like he got he like made a name for himself internationally something like that. I, I but a lot of characters of the day were crafted in that. Fashion. Yeah, I guess that's why I assumed. Um, yeah, um, as far as I understand, and I could be totally wrong on this. Um, I think it was actually a character birthed out of like an advertising deal oh so he, he was in advertising first because i i mean I, I definitely remember as a kid like seeing him like you know um shilling for you know fossil fuel companies very cool thing to do but uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> they paid you, know, hey, you know what chase they paid really well oh no i'm sure they did i'm sure they paid real well but yeah he he was shilling quite a lot of products yeah. i seem to remember my dad telling me when i was a little kid yeah that's the guy that tried to sell me milk back in the day <laughs> but, but um yeah he as far as I understand, it was like an advertising agency or something uh, contracted the director, John Cherry, uh, who also had a friend, Jim Varney, and the two of them kind of spitballed this character together huh. and used him to film a lot of commercials. He also was featured in a cameo role in a movie that isn't an Ernest-centric production. It has a very curious title, Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam from 1985. I'm actually very curious to know what the fuck that is yeah me too that is quite the title Uh, apparently Ernest is just in that he's not the star of it or anything um but yeah uh Jim Varney had a very long tenure doing this character and apparently the inspiration came from I think it was the director's 
dad had like a coworker or something who was basically this character, kind of similar to a uh, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, uh, the, the creation of the Kramer character. Okay, right. Where they right. actually yeah. lived with somebody who was similar to Kramer. Yeah, it sounds Wait, terrifying. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Some guy just oh, just kicks your door open and just eats your food and <laughs> just hangs out. I was out thinking like like uh, terrifying, thinking of like a an actual Ernest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the funny part. That that's the funny part is yeah. like as a kid, um, my my dad uh, would have a lot of people that he'd work with that I don't know how he'd make these relationships, but a lot of these people didn't have a whole lot of teeth. Uh, there were some glass eyes involved. Oh, wow. uh, there were a lot of um, uh, unintentional electrical shocks. So there were a lot of missing fingernails and whatnot amongst this crowd of folks. A lot, a lot of people with magnetic powers, uh, of course. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, no magnetic oh. powers amongst these people, but quite a lot of denim and quite a few baseball caps. Mm. So I think on a subconscious level, maybe as a child, I was projecting those people that would just like come by dad's job sites or come by the house on occasion. I was like seeing those people transposed onto Ernest because there were a lot of similarities, uh, especially the inflated ego aspect of the character where it's just like, mm-hmm. I don't think this guy knows a damn thing about anything, but he sure talks like he does. Well, yeah, th- see, that's the thing. It's like, I, I thought he was supposed to be like a blue collar, every man who just like knows a lot about how things work, but has no social skills and, and, you know, no real intellectual capacity outside of that. But no, he's, he just kind of bumbles his way through everything. Yeah. He, he, he's all blustered. Okay. Um, he, he talks a big game, but he is, a, he's an idiot. Like, like he, he doesn't know much about anything, but he will always talk as if he does. Okay. Um, and just that bravado um, is, it's kind of fun to watch. Like, especially earlier in this movie when I, he's asked to dinner with his co-worker his lady friend at, at the bank um i just kind of love that moment where he, like she she's making every attempt to make it known this is a friendly get-together mm-hmm. like i have zero interest in you Ernest p world um, but she like mentions dinner and he just like kind of looks aside to nobody in particular and he's like Oh yeah, <laughs> like like it's just, just the the self belief that he has in that moment. It's like wow, you you really jumped through some hopes to get there, Ernest. But you know, as long as long as you feel like you're on the right track with that, bud. Yeah, there's a, yeah. There's a really funny video. I think it's from the show uh, Viva Variety. Uh, it's Thomas Lennon. You might know him as Officer Dangle from uh, Reno Nine One One. Very, uh, very funny comedic writer, but there's an episode where Jim Varney is the guest and he's doing like an English accent and smoking a pipe. It's incredible how he is not earnest. Like he was actually very talented. And unfortunately, this is the only thing I've ever seen him do besides Slinky from Toy Story. Yeah. um, I mean, I believe uh, Robin Williams went to Juilliard uh, to study acting. Um, it's often said that comedy is actually one of the harder things to pull off in acting, in particular screen acting, because there's so much fucking repetition involved. You have to keep up that energy mm-hmm. and find your timing over and over and over again uh, to match the cinematography and the editing and whatnot. Um, and as such, like, I, I don't know how you guys felt about this movie or about Jim Varney's uh, performance in this movie, but I do think it's worth saying that Jim Varney, as an actor... 
I believe he did have formal training, mm-hmm. and I do think he was a very talented actor. He was just making a lot of money as Ernest yeah. and decided to do most of his work as Ernest. Well, I mean, th- there are times where you can definitely see this guy is a very good physical uh, comedian. You know, like he's he's mm-hmm. yeah, he definitely brings a lot of physicality to 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 the the gag. I mean, and and you know, a lot of that is also you know like kind of done through special effects and speeding up the camera and all this like i i was not quite prepared for how much of a cartoon this movie was going to be <laughs> it's a it gets really wild um my uh, my girlfriend has not seen this movie uh she did walk in for the last 10 minutes of it though and i was pleasantly surprised to have like have her like just laughing out loud at the last 10 minutes just because of how bad and the, how over the top it gets. The last 10 minutes of this movie are is like an adult swim sketch, honestly. Like, it's yes! so bonkers. <laughs> yeah, it crosses the line of, like, ironic funny. It's like, I think it's I think it's actually funny now because it's like, I don't know I don't know if what I'm watching is good in any sort of way, um, but it's so ridiculous and so poorly executed that it, it kind of becomes charming all over again. Adult swim sketches are... Uh, the weirdest thing to be watching when really, really stoned because reality already seems kind of uh, out of touch when you're stoned. But when you get into Adult Swim sketches, especially in the aughts, it's it's jarring. Uh, oh, I, I, imagine being imagine being stoned and like putting on too many cooks for the first time oh, yeah. <laughs> without any any sort of foreknowledge as to what the experience is going to be I'd, I'd actually be curious to know what that feels like i was super stoned when the mighty boosh came on and old greg the sketch old greg came on and uh that was one of the most terrifying moments of my life was just sitting through that sketch <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, so so kyle uh, one thing about this movie that i seem to recall you uh you mentioning in the past um, that I, I was actually kind of excited to hear from you. Uh, I don't know if you actually got to see it, but um, you have said in the past that you would have liked to have seen Jim Varney play a scary bad guy. Um, and in this movie, while he's not scary, it is kind of neat that we do get a significant chunk of the screen time devoted to Jim Varney playing an entirely different character altogether, something he did in a lot of Ernest films. But in this one, he's explicitly supposed to be a sinister character, Mr. Nash. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you get to see any of his scenes, Kyle? I did see uh, one scene. I think it's in, is he in the courtroom, I think, at one point? Uh, briefly, yeah. yeah. He's, he's like whispering in the ear of a lawyer. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't see the rest of the film. Uh, full disclosure, the only scene that I've seen of this film is the one that Trevor has as his background right now, which is the, the ink <laughs> pen scene, which is a just two and a half minutes of comedy genius it's pretty great uh, <laughs> i really enjoyed that but yeah no um it is kind of disappointing that uh we don't get to see i do think that he could play a really good sinister character if you haven't seen it uh chase um the ice harvest with uh oh god cusack john cusack but uh randy quaid plays the bad guy yeah. in that yeah. movie and it's kind of disappointing because he is a full-blown conservative alcohol alcoholic nightmare at this point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is off the I rails. I said, how many shitbags are we going to yeah. get on this one broadcast? Let's keep going. <laughs> if you've got shitbag bingo, I think you've just about gotten the... I think you got about five squares by now. Um, <laughs> but he is... Um, he's kind of sinister in that movie and it, it's, it's not too heavy, but he does it so well that you're just like, oh, man. 
I really wish we could get a little bit more of that, like just a really dark character. But yeah, Jim Varney, like I think it was because I watched that clip of him in the courtroom and seeing him be serious. They're just like, oh, that's so strange to see him playing a serious person that I do think that he would have made uh, an interesting villain. I don't know what movie. Maybe it might have been a Leslie Nielsen movie where he played a villain. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah that, that would have been fun. I mean, yeah. uh, Fred Ward in a Naked Gun 33 and a third. He had, he had some fun with that. I'm, <laughs> I'm like racking my brain now trying to think of like comic book supervillains that I think he would have been good for. Oh, like an actual like comic book comic book supervillain? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking like Two-Face given you know, how he oh, kind of does the... Yeah. Both. He could be Two, goofy. Two, I mean, he already does the rubber man shtick very well. Um, he also has a really he also has an incredible voice too. Oh yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Like if you're not going to take advantage of his visage, if you were to, I don't know, put him in a Mysterio fishbowl helmet or something, he could probably pull that off. Mm-hmm. Although that would be wasting a good part of his selling yes, point, yeah, which is yeah, I th- the lines of his face. Uh, I'll throw him in. Think about that as we yeah. progress. I'll, I'll throw him in. I'll throw him in there as a possible casting for the Joker because we'll never get Willem Dafoe as the Joker. But uh, I just watched uh, Nightmare Alley uh, with Willem Dafoe. If you haven't seen that, by the way, and you have HBO Max, you should get off your ass. It is a great time. Now, see, I'm shocked to hear that, Kyle, because when I asked you about that. Uh, when it initially came out, you uh-huh. were not at all interested. Because the trailer said, looked no like way. the trailer looked like absolute garbage. They did a terrible <laughs> job of selling that movie and what okay. it is. But they did it. They did it right by not telling you what that movie is because you have no clue what you're getting yourself into. Like you just, it's it. The trailer does it no service, basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, Kyle, you had mentioned the uh, the courtroom scene. Uh, where Ernest is chewing the pen. Oh, God, it's so funny. Chase, Chase what, what was your take on that sequence? I found this sequence absolutely disgusting. It, it, oh, it kind of... It's so good. It kind of turned my stomach, honestly. Oh, <laughs> it's so funny. So it was repulsive? It, 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 it kind of was. Like, yeah, all this stuff, like the all the, the ink getting in his mouth, chewing oh. on the paper, it, it kind of like... Oh, <laughs> chewing mm, the mm, paper. Mm, I See, can't, I can't, I can't. That kind of stuff I it's, can't. <laughs> It's good physical comedy. It's just it's goofy. It's just totally goofy, and it it's just really funny. How, I think what makes it really funny is how everybody else is reacting. None of the other jurors really notice it, but I do like how the judge does like a like a double take. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, are you okay? Uh, oh, I'm good. It's yeah. it's really funny to watch this movie and see how over the top and how broad and cartoonish it is, and then keep in mind that like by today's standards when it comes to like comedy films this this actually is like it's not subdued but it's like refreshingly like scaled back to some degree is <laughs> like, it? <laughs> well what i'm getting at is noise because part of what makes that scene funny to me is how quiet it's it is. so quiet yeah there's no music everybody is going through the motions on their own it's very subtle where it's just we keep cutting back to a courtroom in progress and then this this, this guy having the struggle of his life. I don't. I, and then, I, I don't like, know. I don't know if I was thinking subtle when I was watching this scene. But. Well, I, I think subtle is probably the wrong word. But what I appreciate about it was that it it a lot of this feels curated. A lot of this feels structured and written rather than improvised. It it's less Jerry Lewis with the cigar and the orchestra playing in the background, where he's just it's like loud and he's he's just his performance is like 
like off the wall like just being like him sitting there no no talking but this is like it's a loud performance but it's absolutely quiet like there's nothing well else i mean it, it draws attention to the fact that he's in a courtroom you know and, and the, like this is not how you behave in a courtroom um yeah you know, I, I, I think they goofy. do a good job there like i think if, if the, yeah like if they had had you know like musical cues or whatever emphasizing yeah. how ridiculous this all is you'd have definitely lost something there yeah i i i hear what you're saying there yes that that's mostly what yeah, i was yeah. trying to emphasize okay. yeah. is that it's agree, it's not yeah. It's not throwing everything at you all at once. It's 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 pretty focused and pretty coordinated in the way it's edited and presented. Um, and I also appreciate how how straight so many of the other cast members are playing it. Aside from like the security guards yeah, and yeah. like the the bank owner and whatnot, like everybody in the prison for the most part is pretty much playing it as if it's a prison movie. Um, and Ernest <laughs> is just kind of. Like, I gotta watch the rest the of this now. Shit, out. I gotta watch the whole movie because if they're doing it like a Muppet Christmas Carol, where everybody else is playing it straight, but you just have the or everybody else is playing it goofy. It's like the opposite. It's like everybody's like Muppets and playing it goofy, and then Michael Caine is playing it like he's talking to real people. Uh, but I didn't realize that was kind of what this movie ended up being. Um, question. Uh, do you think that Jim Varney would have been a little bit more successful if Jim Carrey hadn't come onto the scene? Because I think Ace Ventura was around 93 at the time, and I think Nature Calls was probably 95 um uh personally i i think maybe it had an effect but ultimately the trends have a limited shelf life mm -hmm. like Ernest could only be so popular for so long um and it was only natural that Ernest's time in the sun would would fade eventually so i, I think time was always against the career of Ernest p Worrell. but i'm sure that you know a a, a younger hipper rubber-faced white guy comedian stepping up to the fore is probably also responsible for tearing him down a little bit. I was going to say, because Man on the Moon, I think, was 2000. And after that, Jim Carrey did have some, like, I think Me, me Myself, and Irene was after that. And it was a physical performance. Uh, but a lot of Jim Carrey's, like, heavy hitters were, like, a four-year period. Like, it was just right, it was condensed right there. And I feel like the reason why I wasn't a huge Ernest fan, like, I think we tried to watch one of these movies at one point, but by the time that I tried to watch Ernest, Jim Jim Carrey was just larger than life and just completely controlled everything we watched at that point. So I just... Old and busted. New hotness, exactly. Yeah, he was new <clears throat> hotness. Yeah. Uh, Chase, did you want to jump in there? <laughs> I, just, I, I don't feel like... Um, Ernest was I think I don't remember him being as big a concern around the time Jim Carrey made it big so I, I feel like he was kind of already on the know, out like I, yeah I, I don't okay. I don't think that like Jim Carrey like took it from him uh, you know the, the the way that you know like I mean there were a lot of rubber faced comedians that I think kind of you know did that shtick first and um uh, like who was the guy um Max Headroom Oh, 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 I should know that one. I mm -hmm. should, too, and I can't... I, I can look it up while you're talking. But I, I feel like he sort of had, like, the, the Jim Carrey thing before Jim Carrey, and, and Carrey just kind of came along, and, like, that was just, like, nobody else could do it like he did, or nobody else could, could quite, you know, get a foothold in that space after that. Um, yeah, Matt Frewer. Yes, Matt Frewer. Uh, yeah. Matt Frewer, yeah. Um, thankfully, uh, both, both Matt Frewer and Jim Carrey both 
went on to have solid dramatic acting careers. Um, Fruer, obviously, like, like in terms of time frame, uh, yes, uh, he did pop up on the scene before uh, both of these guys to some extent, although Jim Varney was probably doing television advertisements around the same time Max Headroom was airing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Fruer didn't really become the same kind of household name that Jim Carrey did, but he, he went on to do quite well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not saying, like, you know, he, he, he fell on hard times or anything, but he was oh, certainly yeah. not the huge name that Jim Carrey became. Oh, yeah. Um, I also remember um, the, the short-lived mainstream success of, was it Harland Williams, uh, Rocket Man? <laughs> uh, the oh, movie. God, I forgot about Rocket Man. <laughs> they tried to Man. push him for a minute, and... It didn't exactly pan out, but you know, there's some people who probably really love Rocket Man. His scene, his little scene in Down Periscope, where he does an impression of a whale, that is comedy gold. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. <laughs> Man, I haven't seen Down Periscope. It's been a long yeah. time since I've yeah, seen Down yeah, Periscope. Yeah, same, same. Yep. Yeah, was that a was that a Deep Impact Armageddon situation with that and Mikhail's Navy? It was. I seem yeah. to remember that oh, being a similar. They were contemporaries, yeah. I do believe. Yeah, yeah. If not, there was a couple of years difference. Interesting. I didn't learn about Jerry Lewis until I watched a documentary about him, and they have a few like contemporary actors, like Woody Harrelson talks about him, and I'm like, I'm watching these old clips of. Uh, of Jerry Lewis, and I'm like, man, I'm getting like some Jim Carrey vibes here. Jim Carrey's got to be in this documentary. Absolutely not. Uh, to the point where I'm just like, huh, I wonder if Jim just doesn't want to admit that he was a big Jerry Lewis fan. Hmm. Go back and watch some mm. of his old stuff. Don't, have to watch, don't watch the whole thing. Just, just watch some clips of old Jerry Lewis. I mean, like a lot of comedic actors, Jim Carrey is fairly eccentric. Um, I don't, I don't know that he shows up for everything that you ask him to. Yeah. Eccentric is a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Ernest Goes to Jail, like I said, is is easily my favorite Ernest film. Uh, really, I only have two that I have any sort of personal attachment to, and that, that would be this and Scared Stupid. Um, I'd actually be curious to go back and try to watch Scared Stupid. I say try because I know I like Ernest Goes to Jail, regardless of how people feel about that. But Scared Stupid, I feel like the presence of little children and morals and stuff is probably going to turn me off to it as an adult i think um, there's some blackface in his montage oh yeah oh no oh, no, yeah. no 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 oh no yeah sorry luckily he's dead so how many shitbags kyle how many hey man you but... picked i mean i mean you want to get down to it okay mark Wahlberg beat the shit out of a vietnamese gentleman uh when he I'm first aware. got to okay God. <laughs> what else we got? But uh, I think actually, Chase, you're the only one that came out on top here. <laughs> you're the only one the point is. I'm trying to bounce into here is Chase. Yeah, you had told me prior to recording that you actually have a little bit of attachment to an Ernest product in the form of Ernest Saves Christmas. Yeah, uh, would you care to expand on that? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I watched that for the first time in college. It was just like on TV randomly. I'm like, oh, I'll watch this, and I was like, you know. That was a better, that was an infinitely better Christmas movie than I was expecting it to be. And the thing that I really like about that movie is that I think it is like my favorite take on the Santa Claus uh, mythos. And I think it is my favorite portrayal of Santa Claus in any movie. Um, the, the, the guy who plays the old Santa Claus, the one who's on his way out, who has to find his replacement. Um, honestly, like, I don't know, there was just something about his performance. This guy who's, who's, been at it a little bit too long. His life experience is now like, you know, 50 or more years removed from where the world is now. And he's, he's trying to catch up and, he, you know, 
Um, you know, Ernest is like, you know, um, I, I don't want to say like Ernest is my least favorite part of that movie. He's not. Um, you know, I, I like the Ernest stuff, but, you know, it, it kind of pales in comparison to like the, the main conflict, which is the old Santa Claus has to try and convince this new guy that, that he is the right person for the job. Um, you know, there's there's a kid in there, too. And, you know, that stuff I don't think is handled quite as well. She's kind of a, an obnoxious character in, in a lot of scenes, but they needed someone to have a redemption arc. And, you know, who's that going to be? Ernest? No. Um, <laughs> of course not. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I I really really liked it. I, I it's it's something that I I do occasionally find myself turning on even now for you know around holiday time if I'm just you know like uh, yeah I, I need to do a few chores I'm gonna turn this on while I'm doing while I'm working on some stuff and um, I think it's a I think it's a, an absolutely great uh, fun Christmas movie with a really cool version of, of Santa Claus. So well, thanks for sharing because yeah. uh, I I know I saw it when I was very young probably like three years old or something but as a result I have zero memories of it um but you know being as I do like Jim Varney and to an extent Ernest uh maybe I'll check that one out uh next holiday season yeah, yeah. um yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited for that but um did any of you guys have any like particular moments or, or scenes uh from Ernest Goes to Jail that you you particularly liked or absolutely hated <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to say I hated it, but like from the very first scene when like, you know, he's, he's messing around with the floor <laughs> buffer, you know, I'm like, okay, the floor buffer's taking him around. This is, this is a zany good time. It's going up the wall. Why the floor buffers can't do that? Why is it going? Okay. He's on the ceiling now. What, what is, okay. I'm watching a cartoon. I'm okay. I just have to accept. I am watching a world in which cartoon logic exists for this one individual specifically. Um, you know he's 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 electrified now. He has magnetic powers. He's Magneto. Uh, hashtag Magneto was right. Um, and, uh, you know it, it was. I I kind of just had to adjust. You know, like my expectations, given that like my my previous um, experience with Ernest was Ernest saves Christmas and pretty much nothing else. Ernest saves Christmas. You know, like I I can suspend my disbelief because there's literal magic happening. There's Santa Claus. He's literally magic. So the zanier stuff I could just chalk up to it's Christmas Santa Claus magic. That's fine here. I'm just kind of like, all right, I just have to accept that Ernest is a cartoon character living in the real world. So, you know, that's, that's where I'm at now. You know, I just, just kind of have to, to recalibrate. Um, yeah, you heard it here, folks. Uh, hoverboards don't work on water unless you're Ernest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle, you, you didn't see the whole film. So I assume uh, really you only have the pen scene to talk about. Yes, Trevor, I only have the pin scene, and it is fantastic. Okay. It is fantastic, yeah, folks. I, I really do. I really do love that scene, and also similar to that, um, the dinner sequence uh, with his lady friend um, when he is magnetized, when he has his magneto powers, mm-hmm. and they're trying to carry out basic dinner conversation, and every metal object in the room keeps finding its way onto his person. Uh, just watching Jim Varney do, like, ring out everything you can get from the material yeah, it was a lot yeah. of fun in particular the bread or the butter like just like the mess he's making like rubbing the butter that fell into his lap onto a breadstick um, and just the the silverware continually finding its way over to him while he's trying to maintain a dinner conversation it's actually kind of funny because with the perspective of an adult like i can look at this now and say oh some of this is like the american mr bean in a lot of ways oh yeah yeah 
like like it it just kind of has that that farcical atmosphere to it where it's like there's this one guy and everybody else and he's detached from everyone else's reality to some extent yeah. where everybody else is largely playing it straight and then there's this one buffoon that just makes the most messy scenarios for everybody i, I mean like i'm i'm thinking too much when it you know with a movie like this when i when i think this but like the fact that he is a cartoon character like when when he finds out he's going to be put to death while he's in jail because of the whole identity swap thing i'm like why is he afraid of this he like they're they're not talking about throwing him in in dip or something from Roger Rabbit like i don't like he, why is he fearing death right now he shouldn't we already know he he can't be electrocuted to death it just gives him powers so <laughs> What, why, why, why should I be afraid for him right now? Why should he be afraid? This doesn't make sense to me. I think it's because he's not bright enough to know that he has superpowers okay. and, and electricity gives him strength, very similar to King Kong and King Kong versus Godzilla. Sure, yeah. All right. <laughs> but speaking of electricity, um, the Ernest P. Worrell uh, Electro Man sequence as a very small child, uh, was like the coolest thing ever for me. Um, right up there with uh, Optimus Prime fighting Megatron at the beginning of Transformers the movie. Yeah, sure. Um, they're kind of neck and neck with each other. Like, it didn't have the emotional depth that Optimus Prime uh, falling in battle to Megatron, but just the sight of Ernest shooting lightning bolts, poorly animated, poor, yeah, poorly yes. drawn lightning bolts, by the way. <laughs> I need to emphasize that. Um, was was quite a lot of fun for me as a little kid, um, and it, it kind of holds up to to this day. It, it it doesn't pack the same punch as it did. It doesn't have the same novelty as when I was a kid. But just wanted to point out that was one of the standout things for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the just the, the madcap mayhem that plays out in the last ten minutes of the movie. It, it can't be emphasized enough how bad the blue screen is. Oh yeah, and <laughs> and as a result, how fucking funny it is just the sight of jim varney waving his arms around and making that horrible (laughs) he says he says peter pan eats your heart out but like the scene i was thinking of was the scene in mary poppins and i was like they literally did this better in mary poppins they did this effect better like i don't know if it was wire work back then or what it was but um, well mary poppins wasn't made for drunk 10 year olds uh, I think it's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> a few things are, but you know, uh, I uh, think that the Ernest P. Whirl world is... was for drunk ten-year-olds. Okay, <laughs> they're gonna love this. They're gonna love this. Yeah, babies' bottles filled with whiskey. Yeah, yeah I, parenting. <laughs> Chase, I am so sorry. I I got a certain drop on the soundboard specifically for you, and okay. I couldn't remember what it was. But I got it. I pray that it works. Please let me know if you can hear it. Okay. Merry Christmas, bitches! Did that oh, work? Yep. yep, I heard it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I'm glad that worked. That's <laughs> one of my news. That's specifically. What, for what, what, what was that for me? Yeah. Hang on. Merry Christmas, bitches! That's from Rent. That is when uh, their buddy, who is from Law and Order, comes in at the beginning of the oh, film. Right. Oh, there's a funny thing about that because in the commentary they talked about all the different. Uh, things he said when he came in like just to try and get like get him to break one of the things he said that I wish they had left in was he says happy Kwanzaa crackers <laughs> <laughs> they should have left it in they should have left it in 
Yeah, yeah would've that would that would have obviously would have been more memorable. memorable. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but I'm uh, keeping that on the soundboard. By the way, that's going to be on there for a while. It's a good please, one. Please, yeah. please do. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't recognize that. Actually, I I, I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of other things going on, right? Yeah, that's yeah, true. That, yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. a really good line, though. That's a really good line. I think. Not as good as Happy Kwanzaa, but yeah. Happy Kwanzaa, crack. I'm going to go with both of them, honestly. I think yeah. moving forward, just in my life in general. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think that marks a good point to uh, pivot away from Ernest goes to jail. I think we've squeezed all the juice out of this particular topic. Squeezed all the ink out of that pen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on that note, uh, now we proceed uh, to the portion of the show, which actually differs from the format of Snescapades, where y'all... Uh, rank as you go yeah uh, but we're going to sum things up here by doing a a ranking of sorts uh, for all three of our guilty pleasures picks now i don't exactly know how we're going to do this but uh, i guess uh, i will lobby um i will actually lobby for rockstar i think to be put at the top just mm. because of how inoffensive and straight down the middle it plays things mm-hmm. where Ernest goes to jail has a lot of liabilities um, as Chase has pointed out, if you can't buy into the cartoony vibes that's projecting, uh, if you can't handle uh, a lot of Jim Varney positioned directly <laughs> in front of the camera with crazy lighting and vamping for five minutes at a time, um, yeah, that movie will suck some serious ass for you. Something that just dawned on me about that movie, was there no Hey Vern bit in that one? Was there no Vern? Uh, there, was no, there was no Hey Vern. Uh, there was quite a lot of know what I mean. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, something that we I've never watched a whole Ernest movie all the way. You know what I mean, Vern? Is a quote that lived in my family. Like, that's just something. That, you know what I mean, Vern? Especially my grandma. I, I think most of America for oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. period of time. Yeah. I, I, I just feel like that should be illegal to do an Ernest movie without a Vern bit where, you know, like he's talking directly to the camera as if, you know, like the, the Vern is, is the person holding the camera. Um, yeah, that's one of his trademarks. Yeah, because sure. we get a little bit of that in Ernest Saves Christmas. Like, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's like one small scene, but like that's all you need of that. Um, so, you know what? F tier, just based on the fact they left that out. <laughs> <laughs> no Vern, F tier. Yep. <laughs> Never watching no, no, I, I mean, it. Total garbage. <laughs> you know, like if we were doing tiers like uh, the way we do now on the show, um, I might say like if we're you know to like to start with Rockstar, I would probably put it at a C because again it's it's fine it, it's it's yeah. you know um, Ernest saves uh, um, Ernest goes to jail is tougher because it's like it, you know it's definitely got a thing it's going for and it goes for it hard and I I, I kind of yeah. respect that you know I, I always I always you know try and you know give respect to, to you know like hey we know what we wanted to be and we went for it and and we we were that thing. But I don't know if that's enough to really elevate it for me. Like, you know, I'm kind of starting from a position of C tier. It's it's a lot, though. I don't know. What, if we were going to do tiers, like, what what tier would everybody want to put Ernest Goes to Jail into? Yeah, so so Kyle, the way Chase and Emmy do their, their rankings for Super Nintendo games these days, they break things up into tiers, like A through F. Uh, I believe you go to F, right? Yeah, it's uh, A, B, C, D, F, yeah. Yeah, so basically, like in the broad spectrum of guilty pleasure picks, uh, like think of it in terms of that, like giving a letter grade for the just overall quality of the thing. Um, I think Rockstar, 
I personally would put it at like a low B. Yeah. Um, but how about rent? We haven't even touched. Yeah, I mean, yet. rent's probably going to go low. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I will say I am very uh, adamant about it. it. Does not go in F tier. Um, I, I think the no, music. No, I don't think that's fair. The music alone, I think, you know, makes it at least D. You know, like it, it can't yeah. go lower than D. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I've got a lot of problems with it now, despite how much I liked it. But I still enjoy the songs, most of them. You know, uh, uh, your eyes aside. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I can think of two or three very, very solid, very memorable tunes from that show mm-hmm. that I, I don't think an F tier would be warranted at yeah. all. Uh, plus, you know, the filmmaking has some things going for it on occasion, so it's it's not a disaster or anything like that. But Kyle, how about you? Do you have any thoughts yet? Well, I think that as far as my my guilty pleasure movies go, I think that Rockstar is a. I have to agree with Trevor, like a B minus. I have okay. much better. I have much higher films that I would be that would be guilty pleasure. Um, it's hard for me. I can't really rank Ernest because I honestly haven't seen it. But uh, it's hard for me to rank Rent um, on this tier because I just want to compare it to other musicals, which are also just kind of a whole that's a whole guilty pleasure genre of mine it's like just rent it just it did not hit any of the things i like about a musical unfortunately and it Mm -hmm. was too much singing but i will say this it is better than moulin rouge uh moulin rouge is one of the worst things i've ever seen and uh folks at home if you haven't seen it don't watch it it's 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 really bad. It's really you really, realize really bad. a lot of people are going to unsubscribe to our show the second we the second anybody gets Trevor. If they're still subscribed that. after we've done the ninth gate, uh, I feel like we've got them at this point. God damn, Kyle! You're just bringing all the shit back. <laughs> I'm, so I'm wringing out the sponge, dude. Just wringing it out. <laughs> and I haven't even posted the interstitial sequences as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, so I'm thinking. I, I'm sorry, Chase, but I'm 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 thinking like D. Okay. For rent. No, I'm I'm fine um, with that. I'm I'm okay just, with that. Just just because I feel like it didn't respect my time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as a film, it, they definitely needed to make a few more cuts. I I completely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, and and just it they didn't they didn't give their all to every part of it. Like it, it clearly there are scenes that have a lot more attention to detail and a lot more energy than others. It's very inconsistent in that way. Um. Not an outright disaster or anything, but I'm thinking D for that. Okay, um, and maybe C for both. Ernest goes to jail and Rockstar. I mean, I, it's hard. It's, you you both seem like you wanted Rockstar B. I'm I'm perfectly happy with that. Like if we wanted to go Rockstar B, Ernest C, Rent D, I'm I'm totally on board with that. How you feel about that, Kyle? Because I'm comfortable with that. Again, I'm fine with that. But honestly, I'm you know uh, swing vote here on. Uh, <laughs> On uh, Jim Varney's uh, uh, Ernest Goes to Jail, I did not see it, but I'm okay. I'm that's what I'm voting for. I'm voting for you. Okay. know what, sir? Well, you're on your platform. You convince me. Okay. Well, uh, the important thing is you've only seen one fucking thing from that's the movie, great. and it worked. For that you. that it worked was for good. me. Uh, okay, so B for Ernest Goes to Jail. C for Rockstar. D for Rent. One, I have um, one more thing I wanted to say about Rent. Um, okay. And this, I think, was what my mom has joked for years that my brother and I are Jerry Seinfelds, where uh, at least in our teenage years, if we were dating a girl or interested in a girl and she exhibited some thing that we were just kind of turned off, like just kind of 
was off-putting to us. We were just like, oh. And it could be something so stupid as she had man hands or she walked around naked and I saw her cough or One something. One of her like. toes is longer yeah, than the other. It was something <laughs> stupid. <the> order. <laughs> it was something stupid like that. But I was dating a girl who was just quite lovely. She was a sweet girl, but she only listened to musicals on CD. That was the only thing she listened to. She didn't listen to Panic at the Disco. She didn't listen to Fall Out Boy. She listened to I remember she her playing Rent. So like the first time I got into her car, she put in and it was that 5700 minutes, whatever that is. <laughs> and I'm like 25,600 minutes. It's the amount of minutes in a year. How can anyone Exactly. That's what I said. Um and <laughs> she put that <laughs> She put that she put that in 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 the in the CD player and she started playing it. I'm like, what is this? She goes, this is Rent. Do you not know what this is? And for the longest time, when she would drive around, it was only musicals. And I remember, I think that relationship lasted about maybe a month, maybe a month and a half. But honestly, that was the deal breaker for me. I'm just like, I can't do it. I cannot do it. All she does is listen to musicals, and it was it was that. And I do believe she ended up being an extra in an episode of Glee. So uh, oh, I do well, think she, she, I think she, she made it. On it. Yeah, yep. I think she made it. I, I was actually I I'm I'm a little. Uh, it, it's making me think now back to like when I was dating and and uh, how many girls I probably made watch or listen to Rent at one point. Like, <laughs> oh, no. I, that was me. Oh, I was no. the person in the relationship that did that. Oh no. <laughs> There's so many girls out there like, well, glad I didn't end up with that guy. That's a, that's aggressive. That's a power move. That's a, it it's is like laying move. down the gauntlet saying, this is me. This is Day me. Day one. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad I don't do that anymore. Hey, hey, how do you guys feel about Vaporwave? Let me show you some Vaporwave albums really quick and, and tell you. Oh, about no. <laughs> the podcast has been hijacked. Abort. Abort. We have to our heads through Zoom somehow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think we I think we rank these up. Um, I'm not sure if we'll be ever be doing this again on the show, but it was it was fun to pivot into another format for a change. But um, I guess this this is the uh, the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the wrap up portion. So uh, just like to say thank you, Chase, for joining yes, us today. I really you. appreciate you coming on. Uh, this was kind of short notice, by the way. Yeah, no, always a pleasure. This is always a good time. I enjoy doing these. Yeah, well, I'm glad you had fun. I hope you had fun. But yeah, absolutely. Um, also, um, before you go, uh, please, uh, by all means, uh, could you tell our listeners uh, where they can find you and Emmy Zero and uh, your super awesome podcast? Oh, God, I don't even know because I, I, I've been banned from Instagram once. Who knows if it'll happen again? I'm, I'm too intense for Instagram. <laughs> um, no, for now, you can find uh, you can find me on um, Instagram and Twitter at Snescapades. Um, uh, I'm on Tumblr. Uh, Chase Keys is my username there with a hyphen. Um, I'm on co-host at Snescapades. If anyone wants to try that out, because boy, would I love to not be on Twitter anymore. Uh, <laughs> and um, and I'm on Mastodon, which nobody knows how to use at Snescapades <laughs> at mstdn.social. I think. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> Why isn't there a good? Is there a good social media thing? No, of course there isn't. So anyway, but um, not that I'm aware of. If you can <laughs> just lurk on Reddit, that's the best you can do. Honestly, oh yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, <laughs> but our show Snescapades is on all of the podcast apps that I'm aware of. Um, and um, yeah, if you feel like following me on Instagram or Twitter, you can do that. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to hear from folks sometimes. And 
Uh, just be ready for all of my uh, leftist ranting on Twitter. And, uh, here, and, here. and right now, it is flying toaster February, so be ready for all of my videos of old screensavers from Macintosh 7.5 uh, on Instagram. Oh. You are just a oh, straight-up uh, maniac, sir. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Out of control. Out of no control. No wonder they pulled you from Instagram. No they pulled you from Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the topic of uh, screensavers, I, I, I can't... Sp- speak to whether or not it, it was on the Mac, but um, if you can find this one, uh, one of my favorite screensavers from uh, my parents' old computer back in the day was uh, Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi having a lightsaber duel across the bottom of the screen. I think it was all, it was like an all-black screen yeah, and yeah. just these two animated figures would like walk backwards uh, from one end of the screen to the other. I, I know that After Dark did a lot of, uh, of licensed stuff. Like, I've got like a Simpsons one and a... Um a Star Trek The Next Generation one on my Mac emulator uh, on my computer, but I'll need to see if I can find the Star Wars net one now, too. You gonna get some pipe dream action on there as well? No, that one, that one wasn't that? After Dark. That was just the, the default Windows screensaver. Gotcha. So, yeah, if, gotcha. I'm, I'm just doing the ones from the, the Flying Toaster people right now, Berkeley Systems, so. Well, keep up the rebellion. Uh, like, hopefully they don't yank you off the platform again. <laughs> Stay yeah, strong. Hopefully. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, thanks, Chase, for joining us today. Hopefully you can come back and bring Emmy with you next time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, as for us, as for Catching Up on Cinema, um, you can find us uh, on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on uh, the social medias in the form of the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at uh, Catching Cinema. Uh, and you can also find us on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So, fucking google it google it and uh, that being said thanks so much for listening and uh, we will catch you next time i just want to thank each and every one of y'all for all you've done to your bodies <laughs> it's still real to me it's still real to me damn it it's still real to me damn it <laughs> <laughs>